The Sea Report and all the shows on this podcast channel are 100% listener supported. We don't have corporate sponsors. We don't have independent sponsors. Our sponsors are you, the listener. So if you like the work we do and like what we have to say and contribute to the world of news and information and entertainment, please show us your support. Make a monthly donation to help sustain future episodes at anchor.fm slash the sea report. Your support is greatly appreciated. From 99 cents per month to 4.99 per month to 9.99 per month. Every donation counts and every bit helps. Show your support for the Sea Report and other shows on this podcast channel by visiting anchor.fm slash the sea report and thanks y'all Dear Patriots, how is everybody doing tonight? I hope everyone is doing well, ladies and gentlemen. Hold on, let me just get this thing on my vest here. Uh, nah. Dang it, it didn't work. Oh, well. How is everyone doing tonight, ladies and gentlemen? I hope you guys are doing great. Hope you all guys are doing grand, and welcome, welcome, welcome to uh, an uncalled-for edition of the Sea Report, blasting your way through uh, the internet, and ho, 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 thank you. Pardon me. We are blasting our way through your intranet, interwebs, internet, tonight, in an unheard-of Sunday edition. Well, you know, Sunday's not so unheard-of, it's just... We don't normally do Sundays here at the uh, Sea Report, but, uh, you know, it was just one of those days. Uh, I've had a pretty relaxing last couple of days, ladies and gentlemen, and, uh, well, I mean, it's almost like when I don't do a day show, meaning when I'm not on before, like, midnight or 11 p.m. doing, like, a Mr. C in the Dark or something, it really feels like a day off, you know, so I can kind of uh, get a little bit of time to myself. Yeah, I might, I might actually be able to uh, take in some kind of media that does not involve, oh, I don't know, news, politics, current events, going through all that good stuff, digging into old things, stuff like that, you know what I mean? And so uh, that's kind of what I was doing the last two days, although admittedly I wasn't just sitting around resting on my laurels. Uh, you know, I've been busy at work on a lot of stuff behind the scenes, including working on the creport.com uh, I'm telling you guys the biggest piece of that caboodle over there at the creport.com is getting that resources page done because I want to do it right and I want to do it uh, I, I like to be very particular and thorough I mean I don't know I mean call me a perfectionist but I'm not because I'm not perfect you know what I mean 
Uh, but I, I don't want to just give you like a page full of links, if you know what I mean. I want to decorate it up, doll it up, get it ready to sell. You know, make sure that the buyer's getting something worth their money, I guess you could say. Although, interesting enough, as I've been putting together the resources pages for the C report, I'm finding that, particularly in the video department, you know, because I will be posting article links for any articles that I reference here on the C report, uh, including documents, PDFs, you know, uh, document files, anything that I can get, anything I reference and resource here for the C report, sharing it on the website. But for the videos, particularly, um, as I'm putting the resource page together and I'm going back to check the work, uh, some of the videos are already getting scrubbed, okay? Uh, so, like, one in particular goes all the way back to episode number 241 or 242. And on that episode, we talk about, um, we talk about the New Hampshire, the Wyndham, New Hampshire election audit. You guys remember that story? Y'all should remember that story because I guarantee New Hampshire is going to go into another forensic audit. They're going to go into another forensic audit. And, uh, well, you can get the full story on that audit here at the Sea Report, the first one that happened, the botched audit that happened, right? So I'm going over episode 241 for the resources page. And I'm, I'm trying to post these videos. And there's one video in particular, guys, that's very, very, it's very, very peculiar, I mean, it's one of those smoking gun videos that only comes around once in a lifetime. And all I can say is I'm happy we were able to archive it on our show because you can go back to episode 241 and you can see the video. Now, if you go back to the video link, as I have posted, the video has been removed. Okay. Now, in that video, you have one of the auditors. His name is Philip Stark. And he, uh, he formerly worked for Pro-V&V. Now, Pro-V&V, of course, is one of the, uh, one of the uh, auditors who's certified by the Elections Assistance Commission, the EAC. You know, that, that same uh, three-letter agency that has the full authority of our government to certify specific contingents to audit elections. Uh, forget the fact that the uh, contingents they certify have no ability to audit elections. It just, it's, you know, wording and, and fluff, you know, in order to kind of sell the narrative in a quick tailspin to the public. Oh, well, we have these certified people and you can't use anyone else who's not certified. That kind of thing, right? Well, Phil Stark used to work for ProVNB. And uh, he worked there with Mark Lindemann. Now, Mark Lindemann also was one of the auditors for the New Hampshire Wyndham audit, forensically speaking. And uh, the, thing, the difference between Philip Stark and Mark Lindemann is that Philip Stark left pro v and He resigned from his post as a board member. And we covered this story back in episode one-something or 90-something or 80-something. I don't know when we covered this story. It was a long time ago at least in the world of everyday news, right? And uh, Philip Stark left Pro-V&V with a letter saying that he was resigning 
because he felt that some of the tactics, actions that Pro V&V was taking were no longer in line with the integrity that his profession called for in regards to monitoring and delegating and all of that official stuff with elections in our country. That says something, right? So in this video that's now been scrubbed from the internet, and you know, it's not necessarily scrubbed, okay? It wasn't removed. The uh, person who posted the video actually, he actually made it private again. He or she made it private again. So what I'm doing right now is I'm scrambling trying to figure out what account it was that it came from so that I can try and get into contact with that person and ask them if I can have a copy of that video because we have it archived on episode 241 of the C Report where Phil Stark is being interviewed by a citizen journalist and the citizen journalist is asking him about the uh, ballot boxes, you know, the storage boxes where they have all their ballots stored up, right? All the absentee ballots. And in that interview, and this, this is corroborated with video footage they have of one of their, oh, their city officials going into the storage area for the ballot boxes. At 11.30 at night on a Wednesday night, right? And, and keep in mind, the Wind of New Hampshire forensic audit was uh, live stream 24-7. Like from beginning to end, live stream. But for some reason, on a Wednesday night at 11.30, you have like, I think she was, she was either like the deputy secretary of state or she was like the lieutenant governor. Some woman, some official high up goes into this storage area with a sheriff. There's a sheriff seen in the video also. And all of a sudden, it's lights out. Bam! For 30 to 45 minutes, an hour long, they lose the video feed. After you see this woman and the sheriff walking into this storage area for the ballot boxes. So this is corroborated, in a sense, with what Philip Stark is talking about when he's being asked by a citizen journalist about these ballot boxes in storage. Because as it turns out, according to, according to the chain of custody forms, uh, an example, in, in, according to the chain of custody forms, they have like 24 boxes full of uh, absentee ballots, right? Okay. But then all of a sudden... After the lights go out on that Wednesday afternoon and then they come back the next day and they're going through the absentee ballot boxes, there's 32 boxes. So the woman's like, tell me about how there were all of a sudden more ballot boxes uh, now than there were on the uh, chain of custody ballots. And in that video, Philip Stark confirms that four boxes of absentee ballots appear out of nowhere. Okay, <laughs> so that video, it hasn't been scrubbed, but whomever posted that video, and I'm assuming it's the citizen journalist that took that video, but I have to find the account. I can't find the account. I've been busy all day looking for it. Just so I can ask him if I can have a raw copy of the video. I mean, we have it on the, we have the video on the show, but I want the raw copy of it. You know what I mean? And so it's just interesting. Uh, I'm talking about this, of course, because I've been working on the website, getting the resource page done. I'll give you guys a little hint. Now, if you joined the mailing list over at thecreport.com, I told you all you would be the first to know that the new website has been launched. 
Well, I launched it a little while ago. So, I mean, if you go to creport.com, you'll get to see the brand new website. It's it's not it's not it's better than it was before. We'll just put it that way, okay? And uh it, it, yeah. Well, anyway, so the, the now whoever's here is the first to know. And if you are here, you're joining us over at the foxhole.app, you're joining us over at pill.net, you're joining us over at Clout Hub Twitch and over at uh Rumble. So thank you for being with us live on this Sunday evening. I am your host, Michael Aaron Cossidis, otherwise known as Mr. C. And uh, I just, you know, I was working on stuff all day long on the website and other stuff on the back scenes. And I just had an itch to go live. I was like, you know, I, I got a couple of stories that I wasn't able to cover during the week because, you know, things go long and stories go long and... You know, we got to catch up with stuff in Ukraine and Russia, yada, yada, yada. So I was like, let me just pop in for a little bit. I don't know how long we'll be here tonight. You know, I was thinking an hour. It could be two, but I don't think we'll be here all night. I just kind of wanted to pop on in and uh, share some news with you guys. Hey, Sean Joe, how's it going? Thank you for gifting the cookie, sir. And uh, hey, CJP, uh, CJM, pardon me, 61. How you doing tonight? CJM says, ballot box election, Santa brought those ballots. I don't doubt it. <laughs> I know, Santa Claus comes in the, in the cover of darkness, ladies and gentlemen. You can't trust a man who uses the cover of darkness. But yeah, he sure did. He brought, he brought Governor Sununu and uh, all the other election fraudsters in New Hampshire. He brought them those extra four ballot boxes that they needed to make up for the numbers they were lacking. So yeah, it's it's pretty interesting stuff, guys. Pretty interesting stuff. But uh yeah, so you know, just um I don't know. I'm I'm thinking of re uh I, I'm reorganizing my tactic on archiving. Uh because you know, this whole um attribution type of thing, like you have a whole bunch of uh you know, and this is understandable. As a writer myself, as a, a creative type of individual, I definitely, definitely am defensive and uphold my uh my intellectual property that's that's one of the main reasons why the c report split from q a holes because they wanted to claim that they made this show and i was like no 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 no. this is my show i made this show you guys wanted to go talk about bigfoot and ufos so i separated when they they tried to say that they were gonna they were gonna say that they created the c report bull okay that's kind of some of the inside baseball you guys don't know about but you threaten my intellectual property, hit the road, Jack. I'm gone. Screw that. This is my baby. I made this show. I put my blood, sweat, and tears into this show every single day. Don't you tell me that you're going to try and take my show away from me and then try and file, file try, go, try and file a lawsuit, whatever. Anyways, okay. So that's what I'm talking about with intellectual property. With intellectual property as a writer, as a creator, as someone who depends on my... Uh, thinking capacity and my creative abilities to do what I do and produce what I produce, I am very protective of it. So when we're talking about like news articles and uh, articles that come out in magazines and things that people write and stuff like that, I'm having to rethink my tactics because I'm seeing that. And my biggest fear here is that I can give you guys resource pages for the articles that I share to you all here on the C report, but if they start scrubbing all of these articles, what's the use, right? I might as well be I might as well be making this stuff up on my own, right? As as it is said. So, you know, like uh I, I'm thinking I'm thinking I might bite the bullet and I might just start republishing all the articles that I share. Because 
I'm at a big risk of all of this information getting scrubbed off the internet, and I think it should be archived somewhere. Now, don't get me wrong. In the past, I have archived articles in my own personal Word documents on my computer and kept files and stuff like that, but uh, it's no good to my audience if they can't read those resources. So I don't know. When it comes to uh, attribution, non-attribution, and sharing information like that, and I guess like the fair use kind of stuff, uh, aggregation, for example, you know, I mean, we have plenty of aggregates out there. I know that they tried to uh, clamp down on that with the Drudge Report, for example, uh, because they're like, we, you can't have a website where you just link to other articles. That's uh, that's stealing their stealing their, uh, you know, audience or, you know, hindering their sales or taking their profit or whatever. But I don't know. I know there's ways to deal with that, you know, uh, you know, linking through, uh, sending, sending the readers to that website. And I would definitely acknowledge who's the writer, who's the publisher, when it was published with links to that website. But my big fear is that these articles, these resources, these videos, these documents are going to get scrubbed because here I am on episode, what, 262, and we'll only be archiving the information from uh, episode 241 or 242 on up. And I'm already seeing stuff that I've covered that's wiped off the Internet, you know, and that's very dangerous uh, not just because it, it leaves me with a lack of resources, it leaves you with a lack of resources, but it's taking that information out of the public sphere so that no one else can see the stories that is driving the news and driving the truth that we're trying to share here at the Sea Report. So anyways, long story short, the SeaReport.com's new website has been launched. So if you guys want to check it out, please join the email list, you know. Uh, and uh, spread the links, let people know. Uh, I'll, I'll be as active as I can on that than I have been in the past uh, with a lot more articles coming up and a lot more other things. Click on some of the little pictures on that homepage. You might see a little surprise there, guys. <laughs> Click on some of the pictures. I'm trying to make it as interactive and fun as possible. Uh, we, even have, we even have a race to decertification on the SeaReport.com. So uh, I have my tally sheet of the top, what, eight states I think are going to decertify. And as the news rolls out about who's getting closer to decertification, that number might change. Right now, Wisconsin is in first place. Arizona is in second place. And so on and so on. There might be some states on that list that you would not have thought about. But guess what? We are following election audits and election decertification very closely here at the Sea Report. So uh, I'm willing to bet that my uh, I'm willing to bet that my my uh, my count sheet for that is more accurate than most people's assessments on that. And oh, and so another thing I wanted to share with you guys before we get started today is. <laughs> Aside from having the website launched, I got this shirt in today. Now, I can't model the shirt, obviously, because, well, <laughs> I can't model the shirt because, you know, I came out wearing my, my uh, waiter's vest today. But uh, look, check this out. I don't know if it'll show on the screen, but I thought it was hilarious. I don't normally buy shirts, but I thought this was hilarious. And it actually kind of ties in with what we're talking about today. Check this one out. Look. <laughs> You guys are gonna be like, you got a Putin shirt? What are you talking about? Check this out. Ah, once I put in, I don't pull out. <laughs> I had to get it. I couldn't, 
I could not help myself, okay? I could not help myself. I was like, oh, I don't normally just buy shirts on a whim. I just don't got that kind of money. But uh, whenever I saw that, I just, I had to get it. I'm getting some, uh, let's see here. Let me let me jump into chat real quick before we get into tonight's show. Thanks for hanging out with us on a Sunday night. It's going to be it's gonna be kind of casual. I kind of thought about throwing out a chat line tonight, something different. But it just depends on how quickly I get through some of these stories tonight. And then uh, we'll figure it out. But it would have to be just about news, guys. Nothing personal. Just about news. Just about quick comments on news if I do it. I, I would really I would really like to do something like that. You know, where we have like a phone line and people call in to talk about the stories that we're talking about on the show. I would really like to have a show like that. Maybe even a show dedicated to stuff like that. Or maybe even at a certain point of the show, you know, do like the last 30 minutes we'll have call-ins and people, you know, you get like a few minutes, two, three, four, five minutes just to say what you got to say, bring up a point, ask a question. So I would really love to do that. Uh, but, you know, I'm still kind of developing the work that I do here. Anyways, uh, let's see here. CGM with the good old Santa Claus ballot box comment. Dressed in red and white to deliver the blue ballots. No kidding, CJM61. That's uh, that's very apropos. Good evening, Philly Q. Good to see you in the chat room tonight, my love. And uh, good to see you as always, ma'am. Um, let's see what else we got going on. The Wayback Machine, Mr. C. You know, yeah, maybe I should do that. I, I mean, I haven't learned how to master the Wayback Machine. In fact, I never even thought it was a real thing until about, I don't know, a year ago. I was like, oh, it's an actual website. I thought this was just people saying that they knew how to, like, navigate the web really well. When people were like, I go into the Wayback Machine, I literally thought that meant that that was someone who's, like, a super web searcher. Like, someone who's really good at searching webs. Like, they knew the key terms. They knew the algorithms. They knew what to put in in order to, like, really like maximize their uh usage on the internet uh little did i yeah that's how that's how naive and green i am sometimes about these kinds of things uh, little did i know it's an actual website so i don't know i got i got to figure out how to uh how to maneuver that but if it's like in the wayback machine if i could type in an address and it pull it up oh boy that would be amazing let's see here archive.vr says philly q i'm gonna have to make a note of that actually i'm copying that right now as we speak uh because i'm all for anything that makes my life easier when it comes to finding stuff okay cool and so uh we'll see if i can't figure that one out hey pilled by the rabbit how's it going buddy good to see you in the audience again tonight sir great conversation last night cloud watcher hey cloud watcher love the shirt <laughs> i mean what can i say you know i'm not gonna i'm not gonna mince words here okay based on everything i've seen even though i don't know jack i'm willing to bet uh putin is 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 on the side of humanity okay i'm willing to bet i'll bet you five bucks any of you naysayers out there or any of you fence sitters out there, I bet you five bucks. Putin may not be on the side of every nation on this planet, but I believe he is on the side of humanity, okay? So we'll leave that there. We'll talk about Putin in a little bit. Anyhow, guys, thanks for being with us again tonight. It's great to be here on a Sunday evening just kind of doing my thing. All right, let's get into tonight's news, guys. Uh, we're going to do... It's going to be just a bunch of kind of random headlines. Maybe not. We don't really got a full-on kind of like 
agenda for this evening. Hey, Empress Speech to you. Thanks for the 117 gold pills. Much appreciated, ma'am, and much love. Oh, yeah. Don't forget, guys. Uh, follow, subscribe, anchor.fm slash the C report, where you can get this broadcast on a podcast. And you could take us to go in your ears. It's it's actually, this show is actually a lot easier on the ears than you would imagine. I mean, for as much fun as it is as a podcast, I mean, as a live stream, it's much easier on the ears as a podcast. Anchor.fm slash the C report. And of course, for free, you can follow and subscribe to us on any major podcast platform, including the nefarious Spotify and Apple iPod or Apple Podcast, right? Oh, one more item for uh, for housekeeping. If you are a creative patriot and uh, you have writing or artwork that you would like to send on in or f- have featured in an upcoming anthology, uh, myself and Java, also of the Foxhole family, we are working on an anthology and we're seeking submissions of artwork and writing. Poetry, fiction, nonfiction, memoirs, memories, polemics, photography, artwork. Uh, email the C report at protonmail.com if you would like more information and be on the lookout for a submission guidelines page coming very soon. All right, guys, that's all we got to say there. Good stuff, I think. Good stuff. All right, and as per the usual, we will begin with. Uh, we will be. Oh, wait. Do we got. Oh, Empress, thank you for the cookie. (laughs) Empress Beach says, I'm rooting for Putin. All right. Good stuff there. Great stuff. I've been rooting for Putin since I figured out he kicked out the Khazarians before the uh, Bolshevik Revolution. That's why the Bolsheviks came for him. They're like, we're going to kill you, Putin, for what you did to us and... Our, dra- our snake dynasty, our dynasty of vipers have been trying to take over the world. And we did it through banks first, but then everyone figured us out. So now we have to do it through cultural appropriation and climate change, right? <laughs> and COVID-19. Anyways, guys, let's start with a couple of statements from President Trump tonight. Trump has the screen, ladies and gentlemen, and Trump leads here at the Sea Report. Save America, baby. All right. Uh, President Trump has this to say. (laughs) Fun one here. Governor Doug Ducey of Arizona saw the big primary numbers in Texas, where Trump endorsements went 33 wins and zero losses. And he said, knowing I would never endorse him, no thanks. I am not going to run for Senate. Smart move, Doug. There's no room for rhinos. I guess that means we can talk we can call this week 34 and 0. Dang! Without even having to endorse someone in the Senate seat for the Arizona district, Trump takes this one by default, but hey, a win is a win is a win, and Doug Ducey is a smart man. He would have wasted all of that time and energy and probably a little bit of money running against whatever. You know, you know, President Trump would have endorsed someone against (laughs) someone against uh, against Doug Ducey. You know, he would have. You know it. Hey, Bubbles. Hey, Sazzy Q. Hey, Thumper Rose. How are you doing tonight? Pew, 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 Sazzy Q. 
Sassy Q says, I'm late. I was getting stitches in my finger from a glass breaking. Oh, no, Sassy. I hope you're okay, girl. Oh, well, I hope you have a quick healing for your finger. And, uh, yeah, breaking. Ah, that sounds terrible. But uh, pew, pew, pew. That's me sending healing shots to your finger, okay? Pew, pew, pew. <laughs> yes, winning, ladies and gentlemen. Boom. That's, that is a, we'll take the default win. Why not, right? That's one less for the, that's one less for the deep state. One more for the Patriots. All good in my book, if you ask me. All good in my book. Okay, who, uh, who's that? <laughs> that's not a Trump statement. <laughs> That by, that might be making some kind of a statement, but that's not a Trump statement. No, actually, uh, this is Jimmy Patronus. Now, uh, Jimmy Patronus actually just received an endorsement from President Trump. And so that's what this is all about, guys. <laughs> that's who's on the screen. Jimmy Patronus. Uh, now, apparently, Jimmy Patronus is the CFO for the state of Florida. Now, I've never heard of a CFO for, I guess, I don't know, is that is that comparable to like a state comptroller? I'm not sure. Maybe they just have another title for the tax man in the state of Florida. But uh, nevertheless, uh, President Trump has endorsed Jimmy Patronus. Uh, his, his endorsement reads this way. Jimmy Patronus, chief financial officer for the great state of Florida, has done a great job as CFO where he also serves as the state's fire marshal and as an important member of the Florida cabinet. A fourth-generation Floridian, Floridian, no, Flor, Floridian, Floridian, Flor, Floridian, Floridian, okay, I got it. I got it, guys, I got it, Floridian, okay, <laughs> from the wonderful Panhandle, an owner of iconic seafood restaurant, oh, well, what's the name of his seafood restaurant? So if I ever go to Florida, I can go patron it. Like, absolutely. Uh, I bet you the seafood tastes fresh at Jimmy Patronus's restaurant, ladies and gentlemen. And I don't even know this man. Uh, uh, but apparently he's an owner of an iconic seafood restaurant. Jimmy has been a great friend to me and to MAGA. Now, don't tell me he owns that restaurant where all of the drag queens go and wear no masks and teach kids nasty things. No, just kidding. I'm just playing, guys. I don't even think that's in the panhandle. Uh, it was a terrible joke, Mr. C. Jimmy Patronus served in the Florida House of Representatives from 2006 to 2014, where he distinguished himself and chaired the Economic Affairs Committee. Jimmy is a defender of the Second Amendment, strongly supports our first responders and our great vets, <laughs> and works to keep Florida's economy strong. Jimmy Patronus is a committed conservative and a great family man, and I give him my complete and total endorsement. Good job, Jimmy Patronus. I will have to figure out what the name of your restaurant is. Not that I'm going to Florida anytime soon, but hey, it's always good to know. You never know when you're going to end up somewhere else, ladies and gentlemen. Okay, let's see what we got next. What do we got next? <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm going to make you guys laugh one more time before we get into the news. Because along with my shirt arriving in the mail, something else wonderful happened this weekend. In fact, it just happened, guys. <laughs> so, if you guys were with us 
I think it was on Friday night, right? On Friday night for our episode of Mr. C in the Dark, uh, it was myself and Java. Again, Java is also a fellow Foxhole family member. Um, we were, uh, we were, we were gabbing on about, uh, the State of the Union address and Russia. Anyways, we got hung up on the State of the Union address when we were talking about Nancy Pelosi and her little, that little moment she had where she was, like, rubbing her wrists together and, like, licking her lips and sucking her tongue at the same time. (laughs) We got hung up on that moment for a minute and we started, it was like, I don't, what was the joke? We were talking about, um, banana pudding and, and, and maybe it was time for, for banana pudding pop. And <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay. Because she, we were saying Nancy Pelosi was probably like, oh, it's time for banana pudding. Right. Okay. And Kamala, Kamala was making these faces, right? Like. Like, I, I mean, Kamala looked like she was about to have a heart attack because she had two senile folks who were finally following, falling off their rocker, or I don't know. She had two clones that were finally breaking down, but somebody made this meme. <laughs> somebody made this meme, okay? And it's perfect. It's perfect for Nancy Pelosi and her banana pudding state of the union wrists rubbing together its noxious fuming gas pits Joe Biden snafu so to speech guys <laughs> do you want to see the meme check this out <laughs> Nancy Pelosi's uh, wrist moment for (laughs) banana pudding, ladies and gentlemen, banana pudding. (laughs) Okay, I'm sorry. I forgot to show that to you guys first, but oh my goodness, that just, that was way too much for me, guys. Okay, you had to have seen the show, okay? You had to have seen the show. The only way that you would find that joke funny is if you saw the show on Friday night with me and Java here at Mr. C in the Dark. Because we were going on about Nancy and banana pudding. <laughs> we- <laughs> I'm sorry. We were going on about Nancy and banana pudding. And that was just... God bless whoever made that meme, okay? Because <laughs> that was perfect that was perfect oh my god okay oh my goodness i'm already sweating and we just we're just getting started okay so all right guys now we can get on to some serious business okay yeah pudding pop man exactly (laughs) exactly ladies and gentlemen exactly all right. Okay. Here we go. Now we get. Now we're gonna shift gears. Okay, ladies and gentlemen. Huh? Oh Lord! You know it is getting serious when we're talking Putin and Trump, ladies and gentlemen. Just look at those. Look at that strong face of resolve right here. President Trump's got that strong face of resolve, and Putin's got that face like, oh yeah, you don't work for the deep state, you say. Can I trust you? I don't know. You don't work for... Are you sure you don't work for the deep state? Should I believe you? 
<laughs> he because Putin's like, I've been trying to kill these bastards for a long time. Russia's been after these assholes for a long time. Do you do you really want me to believe you, Putin? Uh, Trump? Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> with that in mind, guys, I'm sure you guys understand where I where I stand in this matter. I just you know history teaches us a lot, I think, <clears throat> if we pay attention to it. Not to say this man couldn't be sold out, but let's not get too convoluted here too soon. We got an article here I wanted to share with you guys. Uh, this comes from The Federalist, because, you know, we keep hearing this whole uh, back and forth in the media between the lamestream, shamestream, fake news, legacy, mockingbird propaganda, pedophile media, and President Trump. You know, we have this whole back and forth about, oh, Putin wouldn't have done it when you were in office, Mr. Trump. Yeah, sure. You no, sure he wouldn't have. Yeah, the only reason why he didn't do it, Trump, is because you're in his back pocket. Uh, yeah, sure. So, thought I would share a, a, just a perspective from the Federalist with you guys tonight to get this, the show going. See what these guys have to say. Of course, you got a whole bunch of vipers, traitors, and deep state hacks surrounding our president and the seal of the United States of America, the president's seal, you know. But uh, let's, see, let's see what the Federalist has to say, guys. Let's see what the Federalist has to say. It goes, uh, Trump not only successfully deterred Russia from acting against Ukraine, he effectively deterred a lot of bad behavior across the planet. A recent Harvard-Harris poll found that 62% of Americans believe that Russia would not have invaded Ukraine if Donald Trump were still in the Oval Office. As former senior intelligence officials under President Trump, we agree with that view. Russia invaded Georgia in 2008 when uh, George W. Bush was president. Of course, that, is, that, that history is also questionable. Russia took Crimea in 2014 when Barack Obama, otherwise known as Barry Sotero, was president. And of course, that version of history is also questionable. Russia has now invaded Ukraine with Joe Biden as president. However, when Donald Trump was president, Russia did not seize territory from any of its neighbors. Now, you can bet if uh, you were to have someone on uh, one of the uh, lamestream networks try and rebuttal this argument in that one paragraph, they'd be like, well, that's because President Trump only served one term. Had President Trump served two terms, probably in his eighth year, Russia would have invaded uh, Ukraine is probably what they would say. But of course, that's conjecture. It's totally conflated. Uh, but still, you know that they would have viewers out there that would take that to heart and that they would they would just run away with that talking point as if though it were gold. Now, it goes on to say, during his four years in office, Trump not only successfully deterred Russia from acting against Ukraine, he effectively deterred a lot of bad behavior across the planet. He focused on ending America's foreign wars rather than launching new ones. At the same time, he brokered the Abraham Accords to expand peace in the Middle East. This exercise of American power to deter adversaries is a complicated business. It involves a mix of military, economic, political, and diplomatic strategies and actions that together communicate the costs of threatening U.S. national interests. Ultimately, the art of statecraft boils down to whether a president projects American strength that deters adversaries or projects American weakness that emboldens our adversaries. So how did Trump 
succeed in containing Putin while the Russian autocrat has run wild with others in the White House. Why was he so successful at spreading peace elsewhere? We believe the long answer begins with these 10 ways that Donald Trump projected American strength and kept the bad guys in check. Number one, he rebuilt the American military, which we know for a fact he did, y'all. We know for a fact that the military was like practically broke and uh, practically without munitions. Whenever President Trump got into office, number two, crusaded for American energy dominance. There's enough said in that statement, considering that by the end of his first term, we were totally energy independent. Number three, set the tone by launching surgical missile strikes in Syria er, in early 2017. Now, that's another big one right there, guys, because after all, you guys remember, we had CNN, we had MSDNC going on and on about uh, President uh, Bashar uh, al-Assad uh, using uh, chemical weapons, mustard gas and stuff against his own people. Gassing and chemical weapons against his own people. And then, of course, you have the CNN uh, reporters going going over there, right? We all know it's a green screen. We all know that they probably didn't have the budget to do those types of things by that time. But you had them going over there and smelling the gas. They're like, smell this gas, right? And yet they still managed not to drop dead. So it's, it's, all, it's all a sham. We know it's a sham. But the number one thing that they did with President Trump and kind of put this into perspective with what we're seeing now with the uh, Russian strikes in Ukraine. What did they do with President Trump when he sent um, surgical missile strikes into Syria? Trump is striking Syria, blah, 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 blah. We're going to have a war, la, 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 la. Okay, that's what they're doing with Putin. But according to Putin, he's doing a military operation. Could it be a surgical military operation? Maybe not as uh, his hands might not be as well trained as a neurosurgeon like President Trump's were. That might be because Putin doesn't have his military capabilities are not the same as what America has. But I think that these are synonymous situations, you know, where you have uh, President Trump doing these surgical missile strikes to take out what deep state and terrorist, uh, you know, ammunitions, warehouses, chemical labs. There's no telling what else he took out, but he struck the enemy hard. He basically demilitarized where he could the terrorists who were working out of Syria. While the world was being told by the mainstream media that he was striking back at Syria, and there was probably going to be another war which if uh, if the deep state could have pulled off behind the scenes, I'm sure they would have, but they couldn't, okay? So I see kind of some similarities here, some kind of congruencies when we're talking about uh, the way the media handles it whenever uh, their enemies are doing something militaristically that they don't agree with and they can't do anything about. But definitely point number three is uh, is definitely one of those moments where they kind of ha- people had to kind of take a step back, particularly world leaders had to take a step back and be like, eh, this guy Trump's not fooling around. OK, number four, he developed strong relationships with Middle Eastern nations based on mutual interests. OK, now that's something that's unheard of, you know. 
And, uh, well, I mean, all I can say is Afghanistan to that, and you guys can take it wherever you want. <clears throat> Number five, was ruthless with the Taliban while winding down the Afghanistan war. We've all heard President Trump talking about how he negotiated or dealt with or spoke with or played war games with the leaders of the Taliban. Even if I mean verbally speaking, he played verbal war games with the Taliban. And he was able to be ruthless with them, aside from taking out, you know, oh, I don't know, the ISIS caliphate, right? He was able to put them into a position simply with his words that they would not strike because he knew that he meant business. Number seven, he demonstrated a consistent willingness to take out the bad guys. Number eight, he stood up to China. Number nine, strategically used unpredictability as an asset in foreign affairs. That's right. And you know what? This one right here, using unpredictability, I think that's a no-brainer. I think the reason why, I think this is a default for President Trump, to be honest with you. And we'll take it. It's still a win. But the reason why I say it's a default is because the reason why we have had no unpredictability in the last, oh, I don't know, two or three decades is because... It was a strategy being played on the same sides by one entity, and that was the globalists in the deep state. So it behooved the globalists to leak and to share their next strategy movements and to telegraph their next moves to their enemy, okay? So all President Trump did was, well, he stopped telegraphing his moves to the bad guys, you know, and he stopped doing that. He was not about that because he was not working on their team. And I think that's why they were doing it from the jump to begin with is because they they needed to make sure that their enemies knew where they were going because they were not really enemies. They were trying to set up some grand, uh, you know, theater, these these uh, actors of war to make it look like they were doing a certain operation, that they, they had a certain intention, but ultimately their intentions were not that at all. Their intentions had nothing to do with it. Number 10, he advanced tough Russia policies and provided lethal aid to Ukraine while maintaining an open dialogue. And we all know that President Trump was tougher on Russia, even though the lamestream, shamestream media says contrary to that statement. Uh, but uh, hey, uh, President Trump did not give Putin his Nord Stream 2. Uh, not that I can recall. All right, the article continues. Each of these points are worthy of unpacking in depth, but there are several that illustrate the dramatic difference in approach between Trump and Biden, starting with Afghanistan. When President Trump initiated the process of ending America's longest war, senior officials huddled in the Situation Room to discuss tactical challenges on the ground. The president reminded the group of America's humiliating withdrawal from Saigon at the end of the Vietnam War and said, we must do whatever it takes to leave in a safe, orderly, and dignified way. When military leaders bemoan the cost and logistical, logistical challenges of bringing home our equipment, our president said that he did not care if it was a helicopter or a styrofoam cooler. If it had an American flag on it, it was either coming home or getting destroyed to keep it from falling into the hands of our enemies. He vowed that we would leave on our terms or we would not leave at all. Tragically, President Biden's approach, which included the decision to abandon the strategically important Bagram Air Force Base, 
uh, air base prior to the evacuation cost the lives of 13 American servicemen and led to the Taliban parading victoriously through Kabul with billions of dollars of American combat equipment. The administration's stunning incompetence detailed in an official U.S. Army report made the United States look weak and vulnerable on the world stage and Putin was watching. The world took notice when Trump ordered the killing of Iranian terrorist General Qasim Soleimani, who had operated with impunity throughout the Middle East until the U.S. military sent two Hellfire missiles through his vehicle. As a candidate for president, Biden released a statement condemning the righteous attack as a hugely escalatory move that brought us to the brink of a major conflict across the Middle East. Uh, this, of course, proved not to be the case, but it illustrated Biden's unwillingness to do what it takes to establish credible deterrence. Now, that's an actually another interesting statement right there, guys, because, you know, I review a whole bunch of papers, at least as many as I can. And um, with Biden, I mean, sorry, not with Biden, with uh, in, in the case of um, of uh, this Kasim Soleimani guy, if you were to go and read newspapers and articles that come out of Syria and that side of the world, um, because of that move, because, because I guess, I guess be, uh, maybe this is a technical thing, but because Soleimani was not engaged in an actual, like, declared war, we all know what he was doing. We all know the acts of terror that he was committing, and I'm not vouching for him. I'm just sharing with you the perspective from that side of the world um, through what I've read. I'm just, I'm just relaying information to you all. Uh, they actually declared President Trump a war criminal because he took out Soleimani when he was not engaged in any type of declared warfare, which I find ridiculous when you consider how many people he killed and all of the damage that he did and everything that uh, he's purported to have been preparing to do the strikes he's been preparing to have done. But I just, you know, I just want to share that with you guys. I thought it was an interesting, interesting, uh, an interesting perspective from the other side of the world when people are looking at a situation like that, um, you know, because uh, again, um, President Trump made a strike who against a man who I think was honestly uh, probably more closely aligned to a deep state or globalist operative, you know, Soleimani, like, I don't know a whole lot of his history and stuff, but I wouldn't doubt that, you know, the CIA is involved in there somewhere. You know what I mean? I do not doubt it at all, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, back to the article. It says this principle of deterrence applies across the globe, which explains why the Chinese military has sent a record number of airplanes into Taiwan's air defense identification zone since Biden took place. To the specific case at hand, Trump was much tougher on Russia than the media have led people to believe, while Biden has been far softer. <coughs> Excuse me. Trump deployed such aggressive sanctions against Russia that President Obama's Secretary of Defense, Robert Gates, called them the toughest in history, and he withdrew from the one-sided treaties that hamstrung the U.S. <coughs> while, uh, while Russia violated the terms. 
Biden has to- taken the opposite approach, appeasing Putin by handing him his two top, his top two geopolitical priorities on a silver platter. He unconditionally extended the new strategic arms reduction treaty, allowing Russia to continue building tactical nuclear war weapons while constraining our ability to modernize. And while Trump imposed sanctions to stop Russian's Nord Stream 2 pipeline in its tracks, construction was allowed to resume when Biden took office. President Trump understood the power of building American energy dominance by slashing onerous regulations. Trump sparked an American energy boom that ensured we would never be reliant on any other nation to meet our energy needs. Geopolitically, America's increased export uh, export capacity reduced Putin's leverage over European allies, who depended on Russia for 40% of their gas and more than a quarter of their oil. Trump approved the Keystone XL pipeline um, at home and shut down Russia's Nord Stream 2 gas pipeline in Eastern Europe. Biden reversed both decisions, meaning he has been harder on America's energy producers than he has been on Russia's. To add insult to injury, as the Russian army pushed into Ukraine, Biden's climate envoy, John Kerry, hoped aloud that President Putin will help us stay on track with respect to what we need to do for the climate. Vladimir Putin's appetite for expansion did not wane during the four years Trump was in office, and the world was not just miraculously a safer place. Bad actors like Putin simply knew that he had to restrain themselves or deal with the consequences. In nearly every way possible, President Biden has weakened the United States and our allies and empowered Putin. As a result, Russia is on the march, even as the Ukrainian people have inspired the world with their courage and resilience. And in the wings, America's greatest threat, Xi Jinping, China, waits and watches. Now, that was actually an article written by John Ratcliffe. We all know who John Ratcliffe is. He served as the U.S. Director of National Intelligence. All right. So there you go, guys. Very, uh, very interesting article there. I mean, a very good, you know, very good article, I got to say. Brings up a lot of good points in case anyone wants to be a naysayer about President Trump and President-elect Biden in regards to uh, the relations with Russia. And, uh, well, I mean, that's definitely something to uh, take a hold of, guys. Yeah, some good points there for us. Some good points for us. Of course, I don't think what anyone is saying is what's going on there. I have my own personal perspective on that, but uh, I think you guys all understand that pretty much. Hey, WC Crane Up, what's going on? Thank you for gifting 459 gold pills. And he, he set us up with 1776. Ah, oh, that's a beautiful number, guys. <laughs> That's a beautiful number. Hey, Joe, Sean, Joe, thank you so much for gifting the cookie. I appreciate you. And 123SKG, thank you for donating the can to the broadcast. Your support is most definitely appreciated. Uh, Thumper Rose says, our military has been fighting our clowns since Vietnam and every war. Isn't that crazy, though? They use our own people against us. They use our own money against us. They use our own weapons against us. Ultimately, it's against us. Putin is not a global expansionist. He is a Russian nationalist. 
Or as uh, Thumper Rose put, Russia is number one for Putin. Yeah, he's a nationalist. I mean, he wants sovereignty and the best for his country. That's the way I see it anyways. I think we see it the same way here. CJM61 says the CIA is involved in all military conflicts. And that, my friends, is 100% for how long, right? For how long has the CIA been involved in military conflicts, right? Post-World War II? I mean, they were probably involved in World War II also. What was the name of the agency that came before the CIA? I know there was an agency. I just don't remember what it was called. And uh, hey, Patriot Fluffy. Hello from Reno, Nevada. Welcome into the chat rooms, Patriot Fluffy. It's the first time I've seen you with us. And I uh, hope you're doing well over there out west in Nevada. I've never been to Reno. I've thought about going, you know, little Las Vegas. You know, I like Vegas, so I know some people don't like Vegas. It's just not your cup of tea, but I like it. Okay, uh, let's see here. <laughs> Who's that on the screen? We got Putin. <laughs> Obviously, we got Putin on the screen. Who's that man next to him? You guys know AMLO, right? You guys, not J-Lo, not J-Lo, AMLO, okay? That is uh, President Om, was it? Oh, um, Amador something Lopez Obrador. <laughs> oh, I'm not from Mexico, so don't don't crucify me for not getting that name right. But uh, let me uh, <laughs> let me get you his full name, guys. That is uh, Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador, ladies and gentlemen, President Amlo of Mexico. Now, why do you suppose? We've got a split screen here with, uh, with Andres uh, López Obrador and uh, Vladimir Putin. <laughs> Why do you think President Putin looks so happy? <laughs> Isn't that a goofy face? That's a pretty goofy face for Putin, right? Whoever said that uh, Putin can't have a sense of humor, right? Like, he has a sense of humor. If you guys have seen the, uh, if you guys have seen the, uh, whatchamacallit, the um the Putin interviews. It's a four part docu series with uh with um Quentin Tarantino's daddy Oliver Stone. He has a sense of humor. It might be a little bit dry, but it's still a sense of humor, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Anyways, okay. So uh, let's talk about this. Let's talk about these two fellows here. Now, uh, we have uh we have a sitch here, guys. We've already heard. We've already heard Putin say something to this effect. How would you feel, Herr Biden, if we put uh, missiles on the border of Mexico? I mean, on the border of the United States in Mexico, right? Well, you know, with, with, a, with a photo like this. Oh, 123SKG, you miss Vicente Fox? I'm sorry, no. Vicente Fox was a deep state puppet, girl. Anyways, well, that's my understanding of him. Um, that's my understanding of Vicente Fox. Uh, AMLO is a proud socialist, but at least he would play ball with President Trump is all I got to say about that. And uh, from what I've read about AMLO versus Vicente is he was actually less corrupt, even though he's more progressive. I don't know. I know it sounds like a contradiction in terms, right? 
I mean, after all, it's under AMLO that they finally legalized abortion across the board in Mexico, if I'm not mistaken. I know we covered that article here at the Sea Report, like, back in the summertime. But uh, anyways, I haven't dug enough into... Oh, she got, she's joking. She said, ah, you pulled my leg there, one, two, three, SKG. <laughs> Anyways, okay. Well, there you go. You're you you are uh, you are flexing uh, the uh, reach of my knowledge. There you go. <laughs> so, anyways, okay. So, uh, with Amlo and Vicente Fox, it appears that uh, it appears that President uh, Obrador is uh, actually uh, he's not taking sides on this. He is not going to declare sanctions on mother russia and there's a whole yeah one two three it says uh uh fox uh vicente fox was would trash talk oh maybe that's why he was fun i don't know (laughs) but um you know with this whole talk about the swift monetary information exchange system thing you know um it's just it's coming out more and more that uh this swift system and uh, the sanctions being laid against Putin in regard to that are really not going to affect him in in such a way that the deep state and the lamestream press is telling everyone that it would. It's not. It's not. He already has his own system of things set up in the background that's going to probably take care of all of that. But uh, let's see what this article has to say here, guys. Where are we getting this article from? Uh, This is coming from... Oh, this is coming from nasty NBC News, guys. Now, it says here, Mexico's President López Obrador declines to impose economic sanctions on Russia. Okay, now uh, President Obrador looks pretty grim in that photo there now, doesn't he? It says, uh, Mexico will not impose any economic sanctions on Russia for invading Ukraine. Mexican President Andres Manuel López Obrador said on Tuesday. He also criticized what he called censorship of Russian state-sponsored media by social media companies. We are not going to take any sort of economic reprisal because we want to have good relations with all governments in the world, López Obrador told a news conference. López Obrador's position stands in contrast to the international sanctions imposed on Russia for President Vladimir Putin's actions. Russia has also Russia has built Uh, strong links to various governments in Latin America, especially authoritarian administrations in Cuba, Venezuela, and Nicaragua, but its ties with Mexico are seen to be limited due to the strong U.S.-Mexico relations. The Mexican and U.S. economies are deeply intertwined, but leftist leader López Obrador has at times had testy relations with the United States and has criticized U.S. foreign policy. Now, footnote, they mean during the Biden administration, ladies and gentlemen. The article continues. Lopez Obrador's comments came in response to a question about the interest in Mexico of Russia's second largest oil producer, Luke Oil, and Russian airline Aeroflot. (laughs) Aeroflot. That sounds like, I don't know, a fake company. Anyways, Luke Oil said on Friday it has completed its acquisition of a 50% operator interest in an offshore oil project in Mexico, part of its drive to expand its globalist reach. 
global reach. The Mexican president also criticized what he characterized as the censorship of Russian state media. I don't agree with the fact that media from Russia or any country is censored, Lopez Obrador said. Alphabet Inc.'s Go Ogle barred Russia's state-owned media outlet RT and other channels from receiving money for ads on their websites, apps, and YouTube videos, similar to a move by Facebook after the invasion of Ukraine. All right, so there you have it. That's where Mexico stands. So, you know... Obrador played ball with Trump, okay? Like, Obrador would not, would not go against Trump. Now, admittedly, it seems to me like this president being a lefty, a progressive, a socialist, a proud socialist, nonetheless, that he would, uh, he would, he would try and, 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 you know, he would probably grease himself up. I'm not being racist, okay? <laughs> I'm not calling him a greasy Mexican full of Monteca. I am just saying he'd probably try and, you know, wriggle his way free and into anything that would be to his benefit. It just seems that way. And the reason why I say that is because when President Obrador realized how weak the Biden administration is, he started pushing back on America. He started changing policies that he had agreed to do with President Trump. He started changing financial, economic, and monetary things, that, dealings that he had going on with the states that he did with Trump. But once he realized what kind of a weak, weak government and leader was underneath this Biden regime, this Biden junta, that he could get away with doing these underhanded, weak, progressive dealings, okay? So it wasn't under Trump that Obrador has been pushing back and has been a bad guy, okay? It's only been under Biden that Obrador has suddenly grown a backbone and tried to get away with things that he knows he could not get away with under a President Trump administration, Right. And so this should be worrisome to the Biden administration. This should be worrisome to the Biden deep state department. The reason why I don't think it's worrisome is because I bet you money the deep state department would love it if Mexico teamed up with Russia and Mexico allowed Russia to put missiles on our border. And do you know why? Because then they would have a reason to go and strike Russia preemptively. So they would love it. Is that going to happen? Nah, it's probably never going to happen. But uh, Obrador is showing his true colors. He's looking like a two-faced Mexican, okay? <laughs> because guess what? He is, ladies and gentlemen. He is. He's an opportunist and he's a weak leader. But hey, Mexico has a much longer way to clean out their corruption than I think the United States of America does. And uh, I think all of you guys could probably agree with that. But anyhow, guys, let's move on to our next article. Ah! <laughs> wait, wait, wait. We got to do this one. Are you ready, guys? Because we've got some rhinos coming up. <laughs> Now, most admittedly, we'll only be featuring two rhinos in this section. We're still talking about Russia here, guys. <clears throat> oh, you know what I forgot to do? Let me do this while we're talking about this. Um, but, but, guys, 
not butt guys, but butt guys. Like we only have a couple of rhinos to talk about here. But but what I'm what why I'm wanting to do talk about this is because, you know, I think right now, as with everything that's going on in this world, you know, everything that's happening right now in this field of geopolitics, what we're seeing is that every move that these people make whether it's about COVID-19, whether it's about election integrity, whether it's about Ukraine, Russia, whether it's about Australia or Canada, you know, they're showing their true colors. They're showing their hand, guys. They are showing us who they are. It's up to us to be able to recognize what it is that they're showing us, okay? Now, take Lindsey Graham for example. Now, um, uh, Flimsy Limsy, you know, uh, Closet Case Lindsey, you know, uh, his worst sin was probably, uh, in his eyes, his worst sin was probably being gay. Maybe this man does not have any child skeletons in his closet, but he definitely has skeletons with male pelvises in his closet, right? So this guy we've always known to be a rhino. Now, in enters President Trump, right? And when President Trump comes into his administration, all of a sudden, we have Lindsey Graham suddenly seeming like he is a good old patriot, America first conservative MAGA movement individual. And he is going to help President Trump bring home the Constitution, right? That's the impression that I got, you know, coming into politics around, I don't know, 2008, 2006 or seven, and getting familiar with all of these characters. I was like, Lindsey Graham, that's the guy that skirts around with, uh, you know, uh, John McCain, okay? And he's hanging out with John McCain and ISIS and you know, him and John McCain, they're warmongers, they're warhawks, they're rhinos. And then Trump comes along and Lindsay changes his tune. Now, let's just say there, there's something to be said about the, uh, the virility and the animus that a closeted gay male politician can have when they're talking about uh, defending the president. You guys remember whenever Lindsey Graham really scolded the Congress, the upper, the lower chamber, and he really went after them, like, uh, because, of, uh, because of all of the shenanigans that they were running on President Trump? I was like, wow, this guy is, his claws are coming out. I was like, I was like, his nine inch sharpened French nail claws are coming out, flimsy limsy, you know? (laughs) And so I was like, maybe this guy is a good guy. Maybe he's turning over a leaf. Maybe he is seeking redemption for all of the sins that he's done. Maybe he made a deal, right? They're like, turn in John McCain and we won't hang you next to him. Flimsy, limsy. I don't know. I'm just speculating here. But, you know, ever since, optically speaking, President Trump has not been in office, you know, all of the rhinos are showing their true colors again. Just look at everything that they do. Look at who, for example, when we talked about Kentanji Brown Jackson, you know, the black female that President-select Biden nominated to the Supreme Court, 
Do you remember we did a deep dive on her uh, a couple of episodes ago? There were only, what, three or four Republicans that, um, that confirmed her, okay? We had Murkowski, McConnell, and uh, Lindsey Graham were among those three or four rhinos that confirmed Contengi Brown-Jackson. Really, Lindsey Graham? Like, really? Okay, so, like, I don't care if Paul Ryan promised he'd give you a Hummer for confirming your, his sister-in-law, all right, because that is Paul Ryan's sister-in-law, Contangi Brown Jackson, right? Old Blue Eyes himself. Yeah, I don't care, Lindsey, what backroom, back-alley deal you made with Paul Ryan to confirm his sister-in-law, okay? Point being... He is showing us who he is, okay? And just like, this is where what people need to really, like, really zero in on. You have these rhinos in Congress who are calling for the blood of Vladimir Putin. Who else is calling for the blood of Vladimir Putin? Well, we covered this, like, sometime last week. We got this man right here. Everyone's favorite grandpop, George Soros. George Soros also. Stand with Ukraine. Protect my glorious panty boys in Ukraine. You must do everything you can to stop President Putin from destroying my gay bordello in Ukraine. George Soros, okay? Now, if George Soros wants to protect Ukraine... And George Soros is calling on all of the American politicians to stand with Ukraine. Doesn't it make some sort of sense that you would not stand with Ukraine? (laughs) Or you would severely question this man's reasons for wanting to protect Ukraine, okay? It's because it's an open society. No, 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 no. Don't give me none of that, please. Ladies and gentlemen, anyways. Yeah, yeah, I know. Soros in Ukraine is old news. We covered it here first, like a week or two ago. Okay, so let's see what uh, Lindsey Graham has to say here about Vladimir Putin. Okay, and then we'll go on to one more rhino after this. We'll, we'll, we'll do a rhino of the politicians and we'll do a rhino of the media. How's that sound? Okay. So we got this. Lindsey Graham doubles down on call for Vladimir Putin's assassination. They're all calling for his death. How undiplomatic. Well, Lindsey Graham, calling for the assassination of Vladimir Putin is downright unladylike. Okay, flimsy Lindsey. The article says... Critics slammed Senator Lindsey Graham on Thursday evening and Friday morning after he called for Russian President Vladimir Putin's assassination, with even some of his fellow Republican lawmakers describing the message as unhinged and Russia's ambassador to Washington calling it unacceptable and outrageous. Is there a Brutus in Russia? Is there a more successful Colonel Stauffenberg in Ru- the Russian military? 
The only way this ends is for somebody in Russia to take this guy out. Now, we all know that the reason why Lindsey Graham was calling for a Brutus or a Colonel Stauffenberger is because he was looking for a date on Friday night. But that's besides the point. Okay. Now, it says uh, Lindsey Graham goes on to say... You would be doing your country and the world a great service. Now, there is something most definitely wrong when you have diplomatic politicians calling for the death of anybody, let alone a world leader, okay? I mean, no one in America even called for the death of Hitler. Uh, Never mind the fact that most of the American politicians supported Hitler back in the 1930s, but that's besides the point. Now, Graham's initial post was referring to Colonel Klaus von Stauffenberg, who attempted to assassinate Adolf Hitler with a suitcase bomb during a Nazi council of war on July 21st, 1944, as characterized in that film about the same subject. Stauffenberg was part of a coterie of German officers who believed that the death of Hitler would enable them to seize power um, to seize power and negotiate a separate peace with the Western Allies, ending the Second World War before Germany could be occupied by the Soviet Union. Hitler survived the blast, and more than 5,000 people, including Stauffenberg, were executed in retaliation. Russian envoy Anatoly Antonov responded to Graham in a statement early Friday saying, The degree of Russophobia and hatred in the United States toward Russia is off the scale. It is impossible to believe that a senator of a country that promotes its moral values as a guiding star for all mankind could afford to call for terrorism as a way to achieve Washington's goals in the international arena. It becomes scary for the U.S. fate, which is run by such irresponsible and unprofessional politicians, Anatov. Anatov added, we demand official explanations and a strong condemnation of the criminal statements of this American. Flimsy limsy. He only grows a backbone for some people. It did not take long for critics on both sides of the aisle to slam the South Carolina Republican, including far-right Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene. Now, that's their words, not mine. This comes from the New York Post, okay? And the New York Post is calling her far-right, all right? Uh, Come on, New York Post. You know that everything is so, so progressively left nowadays that anything... Anything right of center is far right. Anyways, it goes on to say, While we are all praying for peace and for the people of Ukraine, this is irresponsible, dangerous, and unhinged, she posted. We need leaders with calm minds and steady wisdom, not bloodthirsty, warmongering politicians trying to tweet tough by demanding assassinations. Americans do not want war. Graham's fellow Republican Senator Ted Cruz called Graham's suggestions an exceptionally bad idea. Well, thank you, Ted Cruz. Thank you for having some sense of mind. 
Now, Ted Cruz went on to say, use massive economic sanctions, boycott Russian oil. <laughs> now, you notice Ted Cruz capitalized boycott because we just bought some more oil from Russia today. Okay, we have not stopped buying Russian oil, period, which is downright ridiculous, ladies and gentlemen, that uh, we would call them our enemies and a dangerous force to be reckoned with. And yet we are still giving them money and purchasing oil. Ridiculous. Anyhow, uh, Ted Cruz's statement goes on to say, boycott Russian oil and gas and provide military aid so the Ukrainians can defend themselves. But we should not be calling for the assassinations of heads of state. When has Senator Graham, incur when has Senator Graham encouraging regime change ever ended badly? Representative Matt Gates tweeted, referring to Graham's vote while a House member to support the 2002 authorization of the use of military force in Iraq. Far-left squad member Ilhan Omar simply said, I don't give a damn what Ilhan Omar said, New York Post. All right, candidates in this year's midterm elections also, looked, uh, also took the chance to hit Graham. Strip Graham of his committees. He's tweeting about assassinating heads of state and provoking World War III, said Trump-endorsed candidate Republican Joe Kent, who is challenging GOP incumbent Jamie Herrera Butler in Washington State's 3rd Congressional District. Now, that's one we need to watch, guys, because Jamie Herrera Butler, she is one of those who voted to impeach President Trump. Trump. She is a member of the Band of Brothers, the 10 Republican rhinos who voted to impeach, and we got three down. So let's see if Jamie Herrera Butler is going to bite the bullet. She has not resigned. She has not said that she's uh, going to um, put off running for re-election, but she is one of the 10, okay? Now, Kent adds... Or is that only for representatives who tweet cartoons or had a spicy Facebook post before they were an elected official? And here, Kent is referring to uh, disciplinary actions against Green and Paul Gosar. Remove this man from office and call a special election. Advocating for the assassination of the president of another country is not just highly inappropriate. It puts Americans' lives in danger wrote G uh, GOP Senate candidate Tim Swain, who is primarying incumbent Republican Tim Scott of South Carolina. Hundreds of other Twitter users also joined in on the criticism. Are you trying to cause escalation? Asked Brookings Institution Senior Fellow Norm Eisen. Now, why would we quote the Brookings Institute? We all know that there are bad people that work there. Okay, uh, let's see. Oh, then again, this is the New York Post, right? Okay, so, uh, you know, I'm going to skip all these other tweets because it's like, you know, who cares? Um, if that's how you're going to fill out your article, New York Post, uh, if he continues, and this is who's talking here. Oh, oh, this is Graham. Okay, so Graham doubled down on his statement during an interview with Fox and Friends. Friday at one point calling for a Russian spring. Now, Graham says, if he continues to be their leader, then he's going to make you complicit with war crimes. You're one to talk about complicity, Lindsay. 
the senator said, addressing the Russian people. You're a good people. You'll never have a future. You'll be isolated from the world and you'll live in abject poverty. So I'm hoping somebody in Russia will understand that he's destroying Russia and you need to take this guy out by any means possible. Can you just believe? Can you believe the rhetoric that's coming from these people? Like, this is ridiculous, guys. This is insanely ridiculous. I cannot... I don't know. They're showing us who they are, guys. That's the important thing. They are showing us who they are. That's ridiculous. That's so irresponsible. When asked to respond to Anatov's statement, Graham answered, Mr. Ambassador, you're supporting a war criminal in Putin. Ah, you're one to talk, Lindsey Graham. Your country's engaged in war crimes in front of the entire world. You're bombing innocent civilians using banned munitions. You have a record, your country does, of dropping barrel bombs in Syria. As if though that did not happen under Obama or Bush? Really, Graham? You've destroyed Chechnya by massive war crimes. You're committing war crimes in the Ukraine. As if though the deep state and the globalists haven't been doing that since they were installed in 2014? Really, Graham? Come on, Graham. You had to have known that they were putting in Nazis over there in Ukraine. I mean, if a layman like me knows, everyone knows. You need to apologize to the world for how Putin has stolen your country blind. Oh, really? Just like all of the oligarchs stole Ukraine blind, right? And then they want to put one back in? Porchenko? How they're dismembering a neighboring democracy called the Ukraine. And it's not called the Ukraine. It's called Ukraine. There is no, uh, <laughs> there is no what, noun before that. Ukraine. It's called Ukraine, okay? Anyways, it's not the Ukraine. Okay, anyways. How they're killing innocent men, women, and children. You, my friend, are the one who needs to apologize. And when it comes to Putin, he does not pull out. <laughs> oh, yeah, you would say that, Graham. Just kidding. Now, now Graham says Putin should go to jail. Okay, you guys, okay. <laughs> it's my shirt, y'all, for all of you guys who got here late. You see, I just got this in the mail today. Look, see, see. Once I put in, I don't pull out. <laughs> oh, man. I'm sure Lindsey Graham has heard those words before. <laughs> John McCain. All right. Let's go to our next rhino, okay? Let's go to our next rhino. Oh, my goodness. I'm having too much fun with you guys tonight. I need to stop. All right. I need to stop. Okay, uh, let me see. Let me do this here real quick. I'm going to do a quick health check, ladies and gentlemen, before we move on. And uh, let me do that there. Let's see. Who, who's hanging out right now? Who be hanging out? If you're joining us live over at Twitch, at Rumble, at Clout Hub, good evening. Thank you for being part of the audience. I'll drop you guys some links over there too. And then, of course, over at... Uh, Foxhole slash pill, Sean Joe, WC Crane Out, Bubbles, uh, Nanamory1957, CJM61, Timberjet. Timberjet says, uh, cartel violence is higher than it's ever been this year. They are the ones making foreign policy. I have got to agree with you on that end, guy. Like, there's got to be a... You, they're talking with somebody. You know, I even heard tell 
that our Texas National Guard and the troops down there are working with the cartel. Now, that's something I need to continue investigating, but that is something that I heard, and that is very concerning. Now, when I say working with the cartel, I don't mean like they're assisting them in smuggling people or drugs or whatever. What I mean is uh, certain, certain heads of the Texas National Guard are meeting with cartel members, and they're getting their schedule so that they don't have a run-in with each other, and the cartels can cross without any kind of skirmish or them standing in the way, that's very concerning. But that is some things that I have heard. And those are some things that will probably never be resolved under Rhino Abbott. And we have, uh, we have this sham forensic audit in Texas to thank for that. And we have the use of the ERIC system, the Election Rigging Information Center, to thank for that. And they're not going to do anything about it unless we Texans stand up against it. You know what I'm saying? I think you know what I'm saying. We still got uh, one, two, three SKG hanging out. WC Cranop says cartel and Russian mafia is all over. So Oregon right now with illegal pot grows shit is getting dicey in woods. I don't know about that. <laughs> Pot's illegal here in Texas, so I couldn't make a comment, sir. Um, let's see here. Who else be hanging out? Curious cat. What's going on? Trump loves him for some reason. I'm guessing you're talking about, uh, you're not talking about Lindsay. I know you're not talking about Lindsay. Remember Trump was like, I'm going to give out your phone number again, Lindsay. (laughs) Probably talking about Putin. Yeah. Anyhow. Awesome guys. Thanks for being with us tonight. Appreciate your love and your spirit and your presence as always in the chat rooms over and yonder. And uh, let me see here real quick. What can I do for you guys over here? Let's do this. Watch now. We'll do this. Hold on. Give me one moment. Bam. What you think about that, loves? All right. We'll do that one. We'll do this one. Okay. And then we're going to talk about this rhino on the screen here. No love. There is no love for Sean Hannity, y'all. No love for Sean Hannity. The man is annoying, and he talks over people all the time. Um, But still, I don't know. When we're talking about calling for the assassination of Putin, I don't get why... Sean Hannity is, like, really, really, really anxious for that. I was actually like, wow. Like, this guy's, like, he's being far more verbose than Flimsy Limsy or even Mitch McConnell. Hey, Whiskey Blue, how's it going? How you doing tonight, sir? How you doing tonight? Good to have you in the audience. So let's see what's up with, uh, let's see what's up with Sean Hannity, ladies and gentlemen, as we, uh, Continue on tonight's uh, road here. Now, Sean Hannity is also calling for the assassination of Putin. Do I need to say it again, guys? If if George Soros is calling for the assassination of Putin. If George Soros is calling for, uh, you know, uh, the support of Ukraine. Something's up, okay? Something is up here. And uh, I don't know. People need to pay attention to that. I'm sure all of you guys already know what we're talking about, but this article comes from the Daily Caller. 
Sean Hannity suggests the United States should assassinate Putin. So I told you, we were going to look at one rhino politician. Now we're going to look at a rhino uh, press man, right? They're calling for the assassination of Putin all around, okay? From the halls of Congress to the squalor of the media moguls, they want Putin dead. It makes no sense. And uh, it makes perfect sense, actually, if you think about the way these people work. Support the Sea Report. Subscribe. All you have to do is go to anchor.fm slash the Sea Report and you can subscribe today or visit us over at thecereport.com. Our new website just launched. Be sure that you subscribe to our email list. All right. There we go, guys. Let me get this guy. <laughs> I totally used their support subscribe banner to my advantage. All right, so it goes here. Fox News host Sean Hannity suggested Wednesday that the United States assassinate Russian President Vladimir Putin for his full-scale invasion of Ukraine. Hannity began the segment calling Putin a murdering thug that must be stopped by whatever means necessary. He then claimed the Russian leader has forfeited his right to live for the thousands of civilian casualties, among those being children and women. <clears throat> it's a simple rule in life. If you invade an innocent country and you kill women and children and men, you forfeit your right to lead a country and you forfeit your right to live. And I hope the people around Vladimir Putin take action sooner than later. Now, there's just so much wrong with these statements, guys, because... First of all, you can tell that they're really narrative pushing here, guys. Like, they're really narrative pushing here. They, they you know, I just, it's just, it's, it's crazy, guys. It's crazy. But this is how you know, if you pick up on these context clues, you can figure out what is not the accurate you can figure out what the propaganda is. So if you have rhinos and Soros and the Dems and everyone uniting on a common cause, something's going on here, guys. And this is dangerous. But I think it's in instances like this where you have people who are uh, people tradition. Uh, un is this is this an oxymoron? Unawake patriots, unawake Republicans. That one's not an oxymoron. Unawake Republicans, big R, okay, they see Hannity as their, like, uh, their vocal cords, right? So they'll go through and do with whatever it is that, uh, you know, Hannity says. And that's the danger, because there are broadcasts, even, even in the independents, ladies and gentlemen, even on small shows like myself, there are broadcasts out there that are designed to be Hannity's of the small independent live streams, right? And they'll go out there and, you know, they come off like they have their best interest of the world at heart, but they are pushing Republican, big R, 
um, talking points and and uh, suggestions and plans of actions like killing Putin, uh, supporting Ukraine. Now, of course, when I say supporting Ukraine, I don't mean, you know, uh, the people of Ukraine. I mean the big government and what's going on over there. But I think it's important to differentiate the two because otherwise people are going to run away with this uh, show and say that I'm all about, you know, uh, supporting, you know, uh, all out and uncalled for war and invasion. But I know that that's not going on. That's not what's going on out there. I know my viewers know that that's not what's going on over there. So anyways, yeah. Bubbles said he's a paid op and I would have to agree with that. I think everyone in the chat room can agree with that, Bubbles. Like, we totally, totally agree with that. <laughs> Whiskey Blue says, remove Putin and put in... <laughs> remove Putin and put in Soros' lackey Trudeau. Is that going to be where Trudeau gets... Uh, Trudeau's going to get... Uh, what do you call it? He's going to get promoted to Russia or what? Yeah, I don't know. I know I know you're being a funny guy there. I know Whiskey Joe's full of jokes. I mean, Whiskey Blue's full of jokes. So <laughs> anyways, let's get back to this article. It says here, uh, it is a simple rule in life. Oh, we already read that. Uh, so uh, Sean Fanity goes on to say, now currently the U.S. operates under a decades-old executive order signed by President Gerald Ford, another nothing peanut, that prohibits the U.S. government employees from engaging in political assassinations. But my final question tonight is when it comes to Putin, is it now the time to visit the rule? My rule I like better. New rule. You invade a sovereign country. You kill innocent men, women, and children. You forfeit your right to run a country. And you forfeit your life to live. It's that simple. So now Hannity is saying that government employees should try to assassinate Putin. That's terrible. Now, for a little bit more information on this executive order that Sean Spanity is talking about, it says uh, Ford signed executive order 11905 into effect on February 18th, 1976, which prohibits any member of the United States government from conspiring in foreign and political assassination attempts. The orders was later superseded by former President Jimmy Carter and Ronald Reagan, whose executive orders only differed slightly. And then uh, Fox News goes on to uh, propagate invasion rhetoric about Russia and Ukraine. So I'm not going to even bother with that. Support and subscribe to The Sea Report at anchor.fm slash The Sea Report. Okay. All right, guys. Well, there you have it. <laughs> For those of you on the podcast, I laugh because if you could see the picture that my audience is looking at, <laughs> let me tell you what, this country is going to the clowns, ladies and gentlemen. We have Bozo on the screen, guys. We have Bozo, or, you know, it might be, I don't know, that might be Bozo's cousin. I don't know what you would call it. It! We would call it it! That's what we would call it. <laughs> Anyhow, we're shifting gears now, guys, away from Putin. 
but we're going to stay within the arms of the military because that's the way that these women would want it. Are these women? Well, I know the one in the pants is a woman for sure, okay? <laughs> Even though it looks like Bozo's butch mother who came from the uh, loins of, uh, I don't know, uh, what is the name of that actress? <laughs> Mr. Duty Pants, Kathy Bates. <laughs> Is that hateful? You know, so many lefty and uh, SJWs out there would, um, would, would listen to my broadcast and everything that I have to say as such as these trans species individuals and they would say that I am hateful when all I'm trying to do is bring a little bit of levity to the seriousness of the failure of our armed forces leaders and leading officials. When what is it that they try to do? Oh, we don't care about uh, having our ammunition supplied. We don't care about funding for the military. We don't care about our veterans. We don't care about their mental health. We care about gender and misappropriations in the government. We care about whether or not that man has the right to wear a dress or that woman has the right to be called a man in this army, guys. So where, I don't know, the army of China is probably training everyone on their judo death chops and, you know, the army of Russia is, like, training all of their men to be all that they can be. We're learning here in our army how to be clown people, right? How to put, how men can put on makeup. How butch a woman can be. I mean, The 10th Mountain Division, ladies and gentlemen, the 10th Mountain Division, okay? Now, this is, this is the legendary army division that was supposed to save the United States on January 20th, 2021. This was the legendary army division that Q said was going to come. Now, I'm not saying it, and I'm not saying that Q said it. I'm just saying that there are people who said that Q said it. I don't know. I think that the 10th Mountain Division was mentioned in Q posts. Correct me if I'm wrong, my dear audience that knows more about Q and his posts than I do. But the 10th Mountain Division, as we have covered here on the Sea Report, were far too busy worried about gays and them being accepted into their ranks and ensuring that everyone uh, uh, behaved appropriately. They were more concerned about transsexual rights and teaching about uh, diversity in the 10th Mountain Division. And I'm starting to think that they really were mentioned in the Pew, the Q posts, if I'm not mistaken. And maybe the reason why they were mentioned in the Q posts is because Q is trying to say, activate, initiate, go and research the 10th Mountain Division. That, because, you know, and I'm going to kind of go off onto a little bit of something here. 
when we're talking about the military and the military being in charge, I'm sure many of us out there understand that there are different factions in the military. And I don't know how big or how small the military factions are that are dealing with the deep state. I'm willing to bet that they're a small faction of military leaders who are beholden to the deep state and the globalists, but they are a small faction, okay? I believe that the 10th Mountain Division is one of those divisions that is beholden to the deep state. And that's why they were present during the inauguration so that if anyone else tried to do something that they would turn their weapons on them. Now, I don't think these are the same ones that turned their backs on Joe Biden, or maybe they are. Maybe they were the members of the 10th Mountain Division that did not want to go along with this uh, clown and horse show or dog and pony show or whatever you want to call it. Uh, that's all speculation. I can't, I don't even know if any of that could be provable other than what we witnessed with our own eyes. But what I do know is we ran a series of reports on how the 10th Mountain Division was training their people for diversity inclusion and transgender acceptance and gender appropriations and cultural appropriations. I, ha I showed you guys the documents. It's the only reason why I'm saying what I'm saying. I'm not just saying this because I'm looking at a picture of men in clown suits pretending to be something that they're not, biologically speaking. Yeah, I'm sure that man's a woman inside his head, but not in between his legs is kind of what I'm saying, okay? Anyways, before I get any further into this hate speech, <laughs> let me go ahead and let's look at the article because where all of the militaries of the world are beefing up their arms, we are teaching and pandering to feelings and emotions and uh, looking pretty on the battlefield, okay? Like, these bitches right here, these bitches right here want to make sure that if they're going to go to war, that they look good in them stiletto heels. You know what I'm saying? Right. That's what these, that's all these bitches care about, right? Like, who am I sharing a foxhole with? Right. Anyways. Okay. Here's the article. Uh, this one actually comes from the Washington Free Beacon. It says, as Russia wages war, the United States Army trains officers on gender identity. Okay, that's what's important here. That's what's important, okay? <coughs> Excuse me. Mandatory military training program pushes soldiers to undergo gender reassignment surgery. I repeat... Mandatory military training program pushes soldiers to undergo, pushes soldiers to undergo gender reassignment surgery. Now, I don't care what people want to do with their lives, right? But don't make me pay for it, okay? Don't make my taxpayer dollars don't make my hard-earned and worked and stolen money go to programs like this that I want no part of, okay? If you want to be a transgender and join the military, go do it yourself and join the military after you have become stable, okay? Don't do it before, 
because the next thing you know, you'll be on the battlefield and you'll be wondering if the soldier finds you attractive on the enemy team. Okay? Like, do you get, like, why this is dangerous? I mean, come on. Like, they're going to be like, oh my god, does the enemy soldier think I pass? And then, bam, bullet to the head. Or what? Bam! Your, your people who depend on your life are going to die because you had a moment where the enemy soldier looked at you funny and you thought, oh my god, he knows I'm a man. Okay? <laughs> Do you guys understand? It's a mental... A me- it's not even a mental thing. It's it's a thing that has to do with... And I'm, I'm not even military or army trained, guys, but I understand this. If you're going through something like a gender transition, your mind is going a thousand places, okay? The last thing you need to be worried about is defending your life, defending your fellow man, and defending your country. Get your cards in order first, get stable, and then go join the military. But don't join the military because you know that they're going to pay for your college, they're going to pay for your tuition, and they're going to pay for a doctor to chop off your dick or to grow one on you. Do you understand? You guys get what I'm saying, right? Like, I think that makes sense, okay? I don't think it's wrong to say that, right? Because clearly... There can be a lot of things going on there. What if, what if, what if your vagina falls out on you in the middle of the, the battlefield because you got botched surgery during a military surgical procedure? And then your platoon gets killed because your vagina fell out. Like, do you guys get what I'm saying? Like, there are so many things that could go wrong with this. Do your surgery, get stable, make sure you're good, and then join the military. Okay. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think maybe 50% of my audience could agree with the statement that I just made, okay? <laughs> like, that's all I'm saying. It's not about keeping the transgenders out, because I'm sure by the time they've fully, you know, transitioned, they'll be in the correct bathroom or whatever. I don't know. It's got to be post-surgery also. That's all I know. You can't be a half-woman, half-male, physically speaking, you you just can't, okay? It you gotta you gotta go all the way, May. If you want to be a transgender in the military, you gotta go all the way. If you want to be a girl, you go all the way. If you want to be a boy, you go all the way. You don't go half ways, okay? You can't have you can't do both because that is gonna be no, no. It just no, 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 no. You got to go all the way. Okay, put your money where your mouth is. Anyways, okay. Let me stop on my soapboxing and let me continue with this article. Mandatory military training program pushes soldiers to undergo gender reassignment surgery. <laughs> now uh, we have um, we have an info graphic here of, uh, I guess these would be, uh, probably PowerPoint slides about what they're teaching our soldiers, the classes that they're taking. So let's, let's go through these or do they, do they go through these for us? Oh, they do go through these for us. Okay. Okay. So we'll just go through the article. Now it says here, while Russia, while Russia wages a full scale invasion of Ukraine, The U.S. Army is putting its soldiers through training on gender pronouns and coaching officers on when to offer soldiers gender transition surgery, according to an official military presentation on the subject obtained by the Washington Free Beacon. The mandatory presentation 
Policy on the Military Service of Transgender Persons and Persons with Gender Dysphoria was given to officers earlier this month, along with instructions for them to train their subordinates on the material. Portions of the presentation were provided to the Free Beacon by a whistleblower who was ordered to undergo the training as a high-ranking officer in the Army Special Forces. So here is one of the first uh, pages of this, uh, of this training material. Policy on the Military Service of Transgender Persons and Persons with Gender Dysphoria Training Module, Tier Number 2, Commanders at All Levels and Leaders. An Army spokesman confirmed to the Free Beacon that the slides in question are part of mandatory training and come from an official program used to train Army personnel on the recent changes to the DOD and Army Transgender Service Policy. All Army personnel from soldiers to commanders and supervisors are required to participate in the training by September 30th, 2022, according to the spokesman. The transgender presentation follows on a June 2021 announcement by the Army altering its policy so that transgender soldiers can openly serve. The shift in policy is part of a larger push by the Biden administration to make the military more welcoming to transgender people. These efforts have prompted pushback from Republicans in Congress and some within the military who view the policy changes as an effort to promote woke propaganda within the service. As Russia's invasion of Ukraine threatens to spark a larger conflict, military experts and insiders say they are concerned America's fighting force is prioritizing woke culture over protecting the American people. The Army allows transgender soldiers to serve openly, states the presentation, which is tailored for Army commanders and leaders. An otherwise qualified soldier shall not be involuntarily separated, discharged, or denied, reenlisted, or continuation of services on the basis of gender identity. Now, here's another slide from their training program. Transgender service policy, it says. The Army allows transgender soldiers to serve openly. The Army is open to all who can meet the standards for military service and remains committed to treating all soldiers with dignity and respect while ensuring good order and discipline. All soldiers must maintain Army standards, good order, and discipline at all times. Transgender soldiers are subject to the same standards as any other soldier with the same D-E-E-R-S gender marking, DEERS marking. An otherwise qualified soldier shall not be involuntarily separated, discharged, or denied reenlistment or continuation of service on the basis of gender identity. Ensure all soldiers are treated with dignity and respect at all times. The presentation offers several hypothetical scenarios for how soldiers should be trained if they are transgender or in some stage of transitioning to another gender. In one situation, a soldier who was assigned male at birth says he identifies as a female, lives as a female in his off-duty hours, and is not requesting to be treated as a female while on duty. In that case, the soldier, the soldier should be treated with dignity and respect and no further action is required. 
If the transgender soldier, however, later requests to be identified as a female during duty hours and or experiences increased distress relating to his gender identity, the officer in charge must inform the soldier of the army's transgender policy and recommend that he sees a military medical provider. Gender transition in the army, the presentation states, begins when a soldier receives a diagnosis from a military medical provider indicating that gender transition is medically necessary. God, guys. Ugh. We're just... You know how many gay people are going to go join the army so that the army can pay for their transition? And then these guys are all commies and socialists. They don't even love this country. They're, and I'm not saying all gay people are like that because I'm gay, okay? And I love my country. But then again, I don't want to uh, transition either. Like, I'm a man. I was born male. I enjoy men. Sorry, guys. But what I'm saying here is there are going to be so many commie, socialist, SAW, SJW soy boys joining the military so they can get free college uh, and, and an education, a job, and they can transition into whatever the hell they want. And then they're going to turn on America. That is terrible. I mean, come on. This is just insane. This is insane. Okay, this is insane. Vignette number one, no gender dysphoria. Vignette, soldier who was assigned male at birth says, okay, I think we already read through this. Soldier lives as a female off duty, blah, 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 blah. Okay, yeah. So the, the article's breaking down these, uh, these um, uh, uh, slides for us, so we don't got to read them. Anyways, in another scenario included in the presentation, a soldier is assigned female at birth. She tells her first sergeant that she identifies as male and would like to be treated as a male. She has not yet seen a military medical provider. In this situation, army leaders are ordered to inform the soldier that the army recognizes a soldier's gender by the soldier's gender marking in DEERS, which stands for the Defense Enrollment Eligibility Reporting System, which is a massive database that tracks military members. The soldier, according to the presentation, will be expected to meet the uniform, grooming, and physical readiness standards associated with their recognized gender. The soldier will then be sent to a military medical provider who can determine whether gender transition is medically necessary. And I got to say, y'all, uh, never mind the surgery. Can you imagine how much manpower man hours, and I'm not being, uh, what's the word, gender inclusive. I mean, manpower, man hours. These are common terms of knology, okay? I'm not just, you want me to say women power, women hours? How about they powers, them hours? <laughs> Do I have to be gender neutral when I say this shit too? Them hours, them powers. Do you know how much manpower, man hours, money is being wasted just on developing these programs? How much money is being wasted just on the time it takes to go through all of this crap and the training just to create this manual? Can you imagine how many millions of dollars were wasted? 
Can you, I mean, that's, 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 that's the administrative side of all of this crap, okay? That's not even the execution or the practical of all of this crap. It's the administration. All of the administration hours, all of the administration money, everything that's going into getting these programs to be effective and ready to go and roll out, to brainstorm them, to, to type them up, to dream them up, all this money has already been wasted on all of this crap. Okay, all of this crap. Okay, and it's infuriating, guys. We got to take it with a grain of salt, but it's infuriating. Okay, the army spokesman who confirmed the authenticity of the slides to the Free Beacon emphasized that service in the army is open to all who can meet the standards for military service and readiness. We remain committed to treating all soldiers with dignity and respect while ensuring good order and discipline, the spokesman said. Soldiers who meet those standards can serve openly in their self-identified gender. The presentation was published for the military branch in August 2021 and was created by the Army Service Central Coordination Cell, which is comprised of medical, legal, and military experts, according to the spokesman. The Army SCCC used language from the DOD Policy Handbook, and lessons learned to develop the vignettes provided in the training. The presentation expands on the Army's decision last year to allow transgender personnel and individuals with gender dysphoria to openly serve. The policy applies to all active duty personnel, National Guard and Reserve soldiers, U.S. Military Academy cadets, and contracted Reserve Officer Training Corps cadets. Every soldier is different, Major General Douglas F. Stitt, Military Personnel Management Director, said in a statement at the time, when a military medical provider gives a diagnosis of gender dysphoria, that soldier will need to sit down with their chain of command and medical provider to determine what is medically necessary for an effective transition. Army commanders, the police states, should approach a soldier's gender transition in the same way they approach any soldier receiving any other necessary medical treatment. Dakota Wood, a Marine Corps veteran who specializes in defense issues at the Heritage Foundation Think Tank, Foundation Think Tank said the Army presentation employs language primarily used by those on the progressive left. A telling phrase in the presentation, assigned male or female at birth, reveals that whoever developed the presentation material and the policy being implemented accepts the argument that gender is an artificial construct rather than a biological reality, Wood said. This is a highly controversial argument promoted by the progressive left and rejected by the conservative right. These policies threaten to erode cohesion among soldiers, Wood added. Using such examples to illustrate instances where army leaders need to treat soldiers need to treat a soldier in one way or another highlights the type of social policies being imposed on the military services. There are a great many people in the military, arguably the vast majority, who do not agree with this manufactured construct, Wood said, forcing soldiers to accept the premise that one can choose their gender and therefore change how they are to be treated creates frictions within organizations that are dependent on unity and cohesion 
and to be successful in combat. And I think that they said it better than I said it, guys. He said it better than I could. And that's because I'm not a military brat, even though, you know, my father's a veteran, my grandfather's a veteran. Um, I, I mean, yeah, you need cohesion, unity. And uh, that's far beyond my chamber of knowledge, guys. So you just hear me ranting about this and that and that and this. But uh, there's a lot to be said about that. That's for sure. A lot to be said about that. Okay, guys, let's see where we are right now. I got, uh, I think I got a couple of more stories for you guys before we wrap up here tonight. Thanks for hanging out with me on a Sunday night, y'all. I know we don't normally do the sea report on a Sunday night, but uh, it's, I just had an itch to hang out and just uh, report on some stories I haven't had a chance to report on because it's been a busy work week here at the sea report and beyond. And so I just thought I would pop in and say hello for uh, an hour or two tonight. Let's see what we got going on in chat over at Foxhole. Hey, Sean Joe, thank you for donating the cookie. I appreciate you, sir. And uh, Bubbles, thank you for donating the cookie as well. Y'all's cookies go a long way. Let me tell you what, and they are most definitely appreciated. We still got uh, we still got a bunch of friends hanging out in the chat tonight. Let's see here. Uh... Ooh, that looks interesting. Billy Q put a post in the uh, chat room. Red for movement of military assets, 10th Mountain, 1st Marine, CPSD Marine, QVIR to central locations under the guise of citizen riot control. I'm going to also copy that link uh, so I can look that up later because I still have the other link that you popped in there. Or not link, but suggestion. Billy Q, I love it when you guys... Uh, because everyone has so much knowledge out there. Like I learn a lot of things from my audience as well. And that's how I can, that's why I say my audience is very well initiated on uh, some of the things that we do. Hey, what's up? It looks like we got the shit show and I'm not being funny guys. Uh, for those of you who are not on Foxhole and Pill, the shit show stopping by to say hello. So this is, this is about 11 minutes ago. Hey, shit show. What's up? WTF and hello everyone. Thanks for popping in uh, the sh uh, the shit show. <laughs> awesome, awesome, awesome. Cool, cool, cool. All right, okay. Let's see what else we got going on here. CJM sixty one says, "You are what you have between your legs. We do not need mentally unstable people in our military." You know, I'm just saying. You know what I mean? I'm just saying. I got some agreement with you guys. <laughs> hey, Sea Dragon, what's up, buddy? I see you out there. What you doing, boy? The military hospitals has placed uh, transgender surgeries priority over other surgeries. Isn't that ridiculous? And I'm just saying, guys, we're paying for that, okay? Like, we are paying for that. You know what? If you want to go change your sex, do it on your own dime, okay? Or you know what? I'm going to make the military pay for me to get like a hair transplant or the stomach. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be like, I identify as a twig and I need you to fold my stomach and staple it. And I need you to uh, give me like 20 water pills a day so that I can be as gaunt as, uh, as, a, as a, um, a France 
model walking down the runway because that's how I identify and you're going to pay for it. And you know what? While you're at it, uh, I need fillers in my lips and I need to do something about this uh, crease across my forehead. Okay. Like, no, 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 no. And you know what? You know what? I'm mentally distraught and I have, I have, uh, I have uh, self-image dysphoria because I'm fat and I'm bald. <laughs> and there's a couple of other things you could tweak too. I need some, I need some, uh, I need a fake butt. <laughs> it's pretty flat. Like, you know, like, you get real. I mean, don't make us pay for that crap. You know, don't make us pay for that crap. I'm just sick of it. I am sick of it. Shit show says great show. Thanks. Hey, thanks, shit show. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Um, but yeah, yeah. Okay. So we only got we only got a couple of more stories, maybe a handful, a few more short stories to cover tonight, and then we're gonna call it a wrap. Um, we'll start with this next last story. You guys may not be familiar with this man on the screen. But you may be familiar with his name. Now, this man's name is Devin Archer. Gold stars for anyone who can put in the chat room who Devin Archer is. But, you know, by the time you guys get this, it'll already be like 30 seconds delayed. So, <coughs> here's what we got. Oh, wait, wait. WC Cranop says, as a final thought on the military and transitionals, Please, we all know it's in their plan to weaken the military. And that is a true statement. Truer than the blue sky, W.C. Cranop. Truer than the blue sky. It, it, it all goes back to that Marxist bullshit. And all of it does, all it does is divide. And all it does is weaken. And uh, it makes us more conquerable. For those who, uh, those opportunists or those predators that would come in and uh, come in and, uh, you know, try and uh, overtake the country. And we got some gold stars going out into the audience tonight, guys. WC Cranop, 123SKG, Sea Dragon, Philly Q, CJM61. Yes, Devin Archer is Hunter Biden's bed buddy, his butt buddy, right? Uh, uh, Devin Archer is Hunter Biden's Burisma butt buddy and his, uh, uh, was it, uh, was that Seneca? Was that Rosemont Seneca butt buddy over there? He's probably his crack buddy. Like, you know, they probably do crack parties together with all them hoes, right? Okay. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Philly Q, this is not, this is not Carrie's nephew, is it? Is Devin Archer really Carrie's nephew? Oh, I knew Carrie was embedded over there. I had no idea. Whoa, this, this connection gets even better, guys. It gets even better. Okay. And they're all connected to Ukraine as well. Isn't that a true? That's a fact, guys. If there was not a fact higher than this fact, it's that they are all connected to Ukraine. Okay. So what's going on with Devin Archer? Have you guys heard this story yet? Did it get past the cracks? Uh, no pun intended, <laughs> Devin and Hunter. I know no crack gets past yo crack. Uh, we got a, we got a we got a, a story here about Devin Archer. Apparently, this man has been arrested, and he's been thrown justice, ladies and gentlemen. Justice has been served for Devin Archer, even though it might not be the kind of justice that we think he deserves. 
he still, his name is in the books now. Uh, from the Daily Mail, Judge Ronnie Abrams order, also ordered him to forfeit $15,700,513 and pay $43,427,436 in restitution. What are you talking about, Daily Mail? It says here, Hunter Biden had close ties with a company that ran fraudulent $60 million scheme for which his best friend has now been sentenced, emails obtained by DailyMail.com reveal. Devin Archer, who has been close to the Bidens for decades, in fact, Devin Archer even ran uh, uh, the budget book for Hunter and the uh, the big guy, the big guy, right? Paying the big guy's bills with uh, Hunter Biden's paycheck. That was part of Devin Archer's role, okay? Now, it says here, uh, Devin Archer, who has been close to the Bidens for decades, was sentenced to one year behind bars. One year, guys, behind bars on Monday for his role in a complex scheme to defraud a Native American tribe. Archer, 47, appeared for his sentencing hearing at the Thurgood Marshall U.S. Courthouse in Lower Manhattan, where Archer was convicted in 2018 alongside two of his business partners in the Burnham Financial Group for defrauding the Oglala Sioux Indian tribe out of the proceeds of bond sales. During the trial, it emerged that Hunter's name was used in literature promoting the scheme and was named as a witness. And uh, here's some photos here of Crackhead Hunter and Devin Archer and Crackhead Hunter. It looks like he's pushing a stroller, but uh, I could not be too sure. At the time, Hunter's lawyer said he knew nothing about it. The defendants invoked and used Hunter's name without his knowledge to lend their business venture more credibility, attorney George Mazirez said. As soon as Hunter learned of the illegal conduct and that his name was being used in this unauthorized and inappropriate manner, Hunter took immediate steps to ensure that his business interests would not be associated with the Burnham Group or with any of the defendants. That's what is. That's what his lawyer said, okay? Not what the article says. But emails show that Hunter, 52, was involved with other deals with the company and Archer throughout the period it was perpetrating the $60 million fraud from 2014 to 2016. Archer wrote to Hunter in September 2011, encouraging him to meet Bevan Cooney, one of the first to be jailed for the scheme, telling his best friend, I want to work with them and I want you to meet Chad, another business associate, and Bevan, our type of guys. In May 2014, Hunter wrote to Archer asking about their plan to sell his broker deal company Rosemont Seneca Partners to Burnham as part of their deal. Need to map out Burnham Play and begin to move BD broker deal and advisory team in that direction without revealing too much before anything is certain, Hunter wrote to Archer. Archer replied saying they may face difficulties with financial regulators, but that his main concern was getting paid. And uh, here we have some um, images, it appears, of these communications. And uh, this looks like it's a a description of the leadership team for 
the Burnham consolidation transaction. And also, it looks like we have some emails here from Devin Archer to Hunter Biden, uh, which uh, verify what we just talked about in this article. I'm going to go ahead and save a copy of that because who knows, it might get scrubbed later on. Okay, so let me see here. Pardon me while I go ahead and make an annotation here. Hunter Archer Burnham Communication. Okay. All right. The article continues. Agreed. Working on it, the Burnham side, but working on it from the Burnham side, but hard to do anything before it's closed and still risk of it not closing mostly from financial watchdog FINRA approval and mutual fund trustee board approval. He added, the plan is clear and simple enough. If I get into a control position on the board, affect an acquisition of the RSPBD, Rosemont Seneca Partners broker deal, need to figure out how I get compensation from that. The president's son soon began playing a pivotal role in Burnham's business, brokering a joint venture for the company with a giant Chinese investment investment firm called Bohai Harvest. Now, we all have heard about Bohai Harvest, guys, uh, from uh, Hunter or the Biden family's dealings with China and other people who are closely related to the Chinese Communist Party. One of his business partners, James Bulger, Bulger, spelled out his importance in an October 2014 email. Their email reads, Henry, uh, who is Zhao, a Bohai executive, we believe is still interested in doing the joint venture deal if a fair evaluation of Burnham can be agreed to and if you as a deal maker are inside Burnham, Bulger wrote to Hunter. He asked Hunter to tell Zhao that you look forward to meeting him in the U.S. and are very keen on getting the Harvest Burnham platform set up. Henry holds you in a very high regard, Hunter. So you bringing up these two important points and expressing your commitment to this joint venture is of high importance to us all, Bolger added. So now what we have here, ha <laughs> ha. This is a photo. I'm sure all you guys have seen this photo before. This is a photo of uh, illegitimate Joe, his son Hunter, Devin Archer, and I don't know who this clown with the fake hair is. Uh, it's Devin Archer responding, checking in to Robert Biden. That's Hunter Biden. Uh, the caption on this photo reads, you're, you're doing good work, probably puts it all in perspective. Thanks. Things are good. I just met with Chad Brownstein, vice chairman of uh, Prospect Global. Their story is encouraging and continues to get more encouraging. I want to work with them. Really want you to meet Chad and Bevan, our type of guys. Oh, yeah. So that's exactly what they were talking about before. So anyways... Uh, oh, but by the way, uh, Joe Biden had no idea about his dealings with uh, Ukraine or anything else like that, right? He's just golfing with them. He's just golfing with them. Now it seems we have a series of emails here. Uh, I'm also going to save these because I like to do that. Save image as.
it. Come on, fungers, work with me. Okay. Oh, this is uh, this is detailing what we just read earlier. So we're good there. Now, uh, let's see here. Oh, here's another one. So let me save that one as well. Okay. Uh, the article continues. A 2014 slide deck presentation prepared for the Chinese investors and sent to Hunter lists Archer as managing partner and director and alludes to Hunter's financial ties to Burnham. After noting that optics matter to win banking business, the deck added in one bullet point, H. Biden broker-dealer Tucker under enhances relationship. Archer further explained Hunter's proposed involvement in a July 2014 email, saying that the deal would involve Burnham buying Hunter's financial firm, Rosemont Seneca. Basic, it, basic idea is fund an acquisition of $6 billion AUM PPLI business through a consolidated Burnham, which would buy our uh, BD as a subsequent, what we're calling strategic H. Biden tuck-in, Archer wrote. Looks like a great plan, Hunter replied. According to his Rosemont Seneca partner, Eric Schwerin's emails to Hunter, the president's son reported earnings of $166,666 from Burnham on his 2015 tax return. In March 2016, Hunter wrote to Zhao confirming the Bohai Burnham deal went through. And uh, here is more of that. Jeez Louise. I might just have to go back later on and save these because uh, <laughs> this is a lot of uh, documentation. Okay. One more. That might, hopefully it's the last one. Okay. And we'll do that. I'm doing this because I'm most likely going to mirror this article on my website I am glad to hear that we have concluded our joint venture between Harvest and Burnham, he said. I have no doubt that this working relationship will continue as we go forward. But just weeks later, Hunter faced questions from federal law enforcement who were closing in on Burnham executive frauds. In April 2016, his lawyer, George Messiris, sent Hunter a list of government questions, including who brought the Burnham deal to the table, the nature of his relationship with Burnham assessment, uh, the nature of, and his the nature of his relationship with Burnham asset management. The nature of his relationship with Burnham Oh, and why he was paid $248,000 in sporadic and varying amounts through indirect wires to another company. In May that year, scandal erupted when the SEC charged Archer and other Burnham executives, Jason Galanis and Cooney, with selling fake bonds. Hunter was not named in the prosecutor's complaint. Prosecutors said Galanis, his father, John Yanni Galanis, Gary Hurst, Hugh Dunkerley, Bevan Cooney, Devin Archer, and Michelle Morton lied to the Oglala Sioux tribe from March 2014 through April about how proceeds from its bonds would be invested. The government alleged that Galanis and the others spent most of the proceeds on homes, cars, travel, designer clothing like Gucci, Prada, Valentino, and jewelry, 
It said they duped investors into buying the bonds as well. Galanis was charged with conspiracy to commit securities fraud, conspiracy to commit investment advisor fraud, and investment advisor fraud. A worried-sounding hunter wrote to Schwerin and Messieres asking whether they should push back harder against a Wall Street Journal story about the arrest that described Hunter's connections with Archer. There are no allegations you had anything to do with this, only that you do business together. Still, not good, but not sure how we push back without inviting more questions, Schwerin replied. The pair hired a former spin doctor for Joe Biden, Robert Hoops, to try to persuade journalists to leave them out of stories about Burnham's fraud. The masterminds of the fraudulent tribal bond scheme were Jason Galanis and his father, John, accused serial fraudsters with alleged ties to mobsters, including the infamous Gambino crime family, according to Jason bro- Jason's brother, Derek. I grew up with Bevan. I obviously grew up with my brother. Tommy Gambino and Tony Gambino were always around us, Derek told Daily Mail. Derek, 49, wrote a book about his decades of experience with his father's criminal enterprise called Greed and Fear, the Galanis Crime Family. He said his brother and father were excited when Hunter agreed to get involved in the Burnham business. His name was paraded around the house. They would talk about Hunter every second, Derek said. Derek said that he never heard any explicit conversations about Hunter being aware of the Galanis fraudulent intentions, and Hunter and his lawyers did not respond for requests. Now, isn't it interesting that the mob gets involved yet again, ladies and gentlemen? I'm willing to bet the mob still runs this country like we're Canada, right, ladies and gentlemen? Speaking of more corrupt Democrats coming to heel, how about this story? Did you guys catch this story by any chance? Let's see. Oh, hey, thank you so much for gifting the shades, WC Cranop. Oh, wait, yeah, and and 123SKG and Sean Joe. Thank you, guys. Oh, I appreciate that. Thank you so much for your support. Uh, Let's see here. The shades gets you there, you know, like numbers. (laughs) (coughs) Thanks, guys. I appreciate your support very much, y'all. All right, and uh, let's go and get, yeah. Empress Beach to you. Thank you for the cookie as well. I thank you so much, y'all. You guys are lovely. All right, guys. So uh, let's talk about another criminal Democrat facing the music. Justice being served, ladies and gentlemen, across the board. Nines across the board, ladies and gentlemen. Nines across the board. Now, uh, this man here, he is, uh, I think he's a former House Speaker, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, I'm not mistaken. Former House Speaker Michael Madigan indicted in political corruption probe. Uh, Let's see here. This article comes out of the Chicago Sun-Times. A dishonorable mention, if there was any. So we have this. Um, Madigan is now one of the most significant politicians in Illinois history ever to face criminal charges, despite having left office more than a year ago. So justice is getting served, guys. Now, I know in the case of Devin Archer, it's not the kind of justice that we want, but who knows? Who knows what could come out of that, right? Who knows what could come out of that? So let's see what this has to say about uh, former Illinois House Speaker Democrat Michael Madigan. 
It says here, former Illinois House Speaker Michael J. Madigan wielded enormous power and shattered records in his decades-long tenure under Springfield's Capitol Dome. But in a federal courthouse in Chicago's Loop, a grand jury on Wednesday said he also spent years leading what's been dubbed the Madigan Enterprise, designed to criminally enrich himself and those loyal to him. So this is kind of, this is, this is good. This is good. Because what I'm thinking here with a story like this is this is like, this is like small potatoes compared to the RICO crimes and the crime syndicates that are running this government. But what it does is it injects a piece of reality into those who are not initiated but who are not necessarily low information so that they understand that things like this do take place. So they're given a, they're given a baby spoon that says, look, there was a criminal crime syndicate in Illinois and it was run by this uh, Michael Madigan guy, right? It's kind of like the Nexium sex cult thing. Look, we're going to give you this baby spoon of soft food so that you can digest that sex cults still exist and that people are sold for sex and that uh, they do do trafficking does exist. In some, and so just just just, you know, nibble on this and swallow it. We've got bigger fish for you to eat. And once you get through that fish, we're going to give you. Some prime beef steak, ladies and gentlemen. So this is kind of what I see as that being. It's like a white hat psyop on the entire like uh, preemptive programming that, yes, criminal syndicates do exist in government. People in government do actually use it to enrich themselves. You, oftentimes it's criminally. And if it can happen with a House Speaker in Illinois, it could happen with someone who's trying to run for president for the third time. And we're talking about, of course, the Clinton crime syndicate. Isn't it? Yeah, we just go. We went there, ladies and gentlemen. Okay, so uh, this article continues. The blockbuster allegation appears in a wide-ranging, highly anticipated 106-page indictment that appears to be the culmination of an aggressive, years-long federal assault, not just on old-school Chicago politics, but on some of Illinois' most well-known political dynasties. Madigan is now one of the most significant Illinois politicians to face criminal charges despite having left office more than a year ago. The Southwest Side Democrat known as the Velvet Hammer for his quiet but forceful use of power has uh, had held his seat in the State House of Representatives since 1971 and served as Speaker for all but two years between 1983 and 2020. The indictment was built in part on the work of former longtime Chicago City Council member Danny Solis of the 25th, whose cooperation with federal prosecutors was first exposed by the Chicago Sun-Times in January of 2019, and who helped the feds build a similar indictment against Alderman Edward M. Burke of the 14th District the longest-serving member of the council. 
The Sun-Times also exclusively reported in January of 2019 on an affidavit detailing the investigation that led to Solis's cooperation. That document revealed that the feds secretly recorded Madigan in his law office at Madigan and Getzendanner in 2014 August. Court records filed in connection with Madigan's indictment Wednesday confirmed the investigation goes back to the same year. In March of 2019, the Sun-Times also reported on a potential deal involving Solis and a Chinatown parking lot that is now part of Madigan's indictment. Solis declined to comment Wednesday. In addition to Burke and Madigan, U.S. Attorney John Loesch's office just weeks ago secured the conviction of former alderman Patrick Daly Thompson, grandson and nephew of Chicago's two longest-serving mayors. Now Madigan, 79, is charged with a racketeering conspiracy and using interstate facilities for bribery, wire fraud, and attempted extortion. Also named in Wednesday's indictment was longtime Madigan confidant Michael McLean, 74, who faces similar charges. The case has been assigned to U.S. District Judge John Blakey, and an arraignment is set for March 9th. Madigan and his defense attorneys labeled the charges baseless and accused Loesch's office of overreach. Madigan said in a statement, I was never involved in any criminal activity. The government is attempting to criminalize a routine constituent service job recommendations. That is not illegal. And these other charges are equally unfounded. Throughout my 50 years as a public servant, I worked to address the needs of my constituents, always keeping in mind the high standards required and the trust the public placed in me. I adamantly deny these accusations and look back proudly on my times as an elected official serving the people of Illinois. Madigan defense attorneys Sheldon Zenner and Gil Soffer also said, Mr. Madigan vehemently rejects the notion that he was involved in criminal activity before, during, or after his long career as a public servant. The government's overreach in charging him with these alleged crimes is groundless, and we intend to prevail in court. Patrick Cotter, McLean's defense attorney, said in a statement that McLean is innocent and that prosecutors have been trying to get McLean to cooperate for years. He will never testify falsely about himself or anyone, no matter how many indictments are brought against him, Cotter said. We will fight to prove his innocence. Though it's been more than a year since Madigan was forced from office by the very probe that led to Wednesday's indictment, it still sent shockwaves through Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker, who is mentioned but not accused of wrongdoing in the document, called it a condemnation of a system infected with promises of pay-to-play. He said, the era of corruption and self-dealing among Illinois politicians must end. A Pritzker spokeswoman later confirmed the governor spoke to federal investigators in late February virtually from his home, for an hour on a voluntary basis. She said he answered every question, that he was pleased to cooperate, and that he was told he was only a witness. During a news conference at the Dirksen Federal Courthouse, Loesch told reporters that the conduct alleged in Madigan's indictment drastically undermines the public's confidence in our government. As I've said before, we have a very stubborn public corruption problem here in Illinois. Wowzers. 
All right. So there you go. We got a Democrat biting the dust. Let's let's throw another one on the fire, guys. Let's throw another one on the fire. That's what I'm saying, ladies and gentlemen. That is what I am saying. Okay. Let's see. I think we got we got another Democrat to burn. Boom! <laughs> Watch out, guys. That is Secretary of State Katie Hobbs' O-Face. <laughs> I love to pick on this woman. I, if that is what she is. I love to pick on her. I just, I, you know, the Secretaries of State, guys, like, Secretaries of State are some of the worst people. 123SKG asks a good question. Where is Glagojevich? Where is Blagojevich? Blagojevich was asking some pretty interesting questions. I bet you he was set up. I bet you Blagojevich was set up. Honestly, I do. And then uh, thinking about how um, President Trump pardoned him. Well, I think that kind of lends to that theory, hypothesis, if we want to be accurate as well. So anyhow, all right, let's go ahead. (laughs) Let's go ahead and see what we got to say about uh, Katie Hobbs. Now, where we last left off with Katie Hobbs, guys, if you all remember, um, she was having a bit of a skirmish. She was having a back and forth with uh, Attorney General Mark Burnovich, who we're not going to talk about tonight, okay? <laughs> WC Cranop says, too many teeth showing. Would you rather prefer... Never mind, never mind. I mean, it's after, it's, a- it's almost midnight, but we're not going to go in the dark, okay? <laughs> it's almost midnight, but we're not going to go there, okay? We're going to keep this at least PG-13, okay? All right. So, um, where we last left off, <laughs> where we last left off, um, there was a little, there was a little tit for tat going on between Secretary of State Katie Hobbs in Arizona and Attorney General Mark Burnovich in Arizona. So basically, here's the rundown. Secretary of State Katie Hobbs is in charge, of course, of all things election. So she sends out this notice to all of the candidates for the 2022 and 2024 that they're going to be doing um, they're going to be doing a maintenance to the candidate sign up system to the it's a portal where the candidates where like you know you have to collect signatures right to become a candidate or whatever so they're going to be doing a maintenance to that system which would thereby prohibit anyone for signing up for candidates because they didn't even offer an alternative now this violates Arizona state law which says that there must be a valid and working portal or some way that people can go and um, sign up or, you know, sign the petitions for their candidacy. You can't just leave them without a candidacy. Now, if you consider that Katie Hobbs, sorry, this caller keeps messing up on me. If you consider that Katie Hobbs is running for governor, okay, and that Carrie Lake is running for governor, she's going to, Katie Hobbs is going to need all the help that she can get. Like, you know, Katie, you know that Carrie Lake's 
petition for for candidacy is probably going to be pages reams longer than katie hobbs so katie wants to disable wants to disable this system so that this way people can't sign up on the petitions for others candidacy so when she does that she sends out this notice ag burnovich shoots her this letter and the letter says cease and desist katie hobbs you can do this maintenance only if you provide another viable access point or portal for people to sign up their petitions so katie hobbs is like i can't believe that ag burnovich is going to challenge me and say that he's going to arrest me like he said he would arrest her he was like, you will be arrested unless you provide another access point or portal for people to sign these petitions. It's the law of Arizona. So Katie Hobbs, in her Karen SJW soy girl manner, is like, I can't believe that A.G. Bernovich is going to try and put me in the slammer. So what does Katie Hobbs do? She sues him, okay? So Katie Hobbs sues A.G. Bernovich because he's trying to throw the law at her. Because she thinks it's wrong that the highest law of the land as far as judiciary... I know he's not a sheriff. I mean, as far as judicial matters go, okay? Not like arresting all... As far as judicial matters go, high is the AG, right? So, she... I can't believe the AG's trying to use the law against me. Meow, 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 meow. Karen, Karen, Katie Hobbs. Katie Hobgoblin, as, uh, as Sonny Borelli calls her. So that's where we left off. Okay, well, like I said, we're throwing another Democrat onto the fire, right? Okay, so <laughs> this is what this is the turnout, okay? So she sues Bernovich for trying to uh trying to threaten her with prosecution. Anyway, so this is what happens to Katie Hobbs. Judge in Arizona denies Secretary of State Katie Hobbs request to block Arizona AG Bernovich from potentially prosecuting election law violations. Justice prevails. Justice is served. She cannot go forward with her scheme to help her numbers look better or to block Republican or or, or America First candidates from getting the petitions filled out justly and accordingly. This is from the Gateway Pundit. Last week, a judge denied radical Soros-funded Secretary of State Katie Hobbs' request to protect herself from prosecution for breaking the law. The Gateway Pundit reported that Arizona Attorney General Mark Burnovich threatened to prosecute Hobbs if she violates election law and shuts down the secure internet portal for candidate petitions through the remainder of the filing period. Arizona law states... The Secretary of State shall provide a system for qualified electors to sign a nomination petition for candidates for statewide and legislative offices by way of a secure internet portal. Crooked Haiti Hobbs stole the 2020 election from President Trump and she's doing everything in her power to do it again in 2022. The Gateway Pundit reported that Arizona Attorney General Bernovich rejected Hobbs' 2021 Elections Procedures Manual draft because it made cheating easier. Arizona will now operate under the 2019 Elections Procedures, Procedures Manual, which they used to steal the last election. In a letter from the Attorney General's office last month, Hobbs was notified of potential law violations and urged to correct them. 
Hobbs responded with a lawsuit. In the complaint, Hobbs claims that Brnovich threatened her with unprecedented criminal... Pro- Wait, let me, let me read it like her. He, uh, the Hobbs claims that Brnovich threatened her with unprecedented criminal prosecution for performing my duties as Arizona's chief elections officer, Wang. Maricopa County Superior Court Judge Joan Sinclair denied her request for pro- prote- protection when breaking the law. Last week, the court declared... Injunctions shall not be granted to prevent enforcement of a public statute by officers of the law for the public benefit or to prevent the exercise of a public or private office in a lawful manner by the person in possession. Hobbs responded to this ruling, admitting her plans to subvert election laws and interpret them how she sees fit. Katie Hobbs will seek to violate the law despite her warning from the Arizona Attorney General's office. A public officer upon whom a duty is imposed by Title 16, who knowingly fails or refuses to perform that duty in the manner prescribed by law or knowingly acts in violation of any provision of such law, is guilty of either a class 6 felony or class 3 misdemeanor. ARS as Arizona Resolution 161009-1010, the Attorney General is required to enforce the provisions of Title 16 through civil and criminal actions in any election for members of the legislature. On November 5th, the Arizona Supreme Court ruled that leftist Maricopa County recorder Adrian Fontes also acted unlawfully by exceeding his constitutional authority and making up his own election instructions, the court declared. But when public officials in the middle of an election change the law based on their own perceptions of what they think it should be, They undermine public confidence in our democratic system and destroy the integrity of the electoral process. This is exactly what Katie Hobbs did in 2020 and what she is trying to do in 2022. The Gateway Pundit reported that Arizona GOP is suing Katie Hobbs for failing to perform non-discretionary election duties in 2020. The lawsuit seeks to mandate her compliance with Arizona Constitution and election statutes in 2022. All right, guys. Pretty entertaining, huh? Pretty entertaining. Oh, yeah. Sorry, I got uh, temporarily distracted, ladies and gentlemen. Temporarily distracted. Tanette Booth, whose whose links are you dropping in the chat? Just wondering. Anyone that's ever come to my show or been in my audience, maybe? I'm not sure. Uh, oh, are you, is that Severinon? Oh, cool. Very cool. Thank you for promoting his show on my show. I'm sure he'd appreciate that. All you guys love Severe. We love Severe. Awesome. Cool. Maybe he'll have me on his show sometime. That'd be cool. Tell him you promoted, you promoted him on my show and that you should get me on his show. 
or something like that. That'd be awesome. I'd love to chat with him sometime. That'd be awesome. Thank you, Tanette Booth. All right, cool. Let's see what we got next. Oh, that's it, guys. <laughs> that's the show. <laughs> I hope you guys had a wonderful time tonight hanging out. I, I definitely had a good time tonight. Thank you all for uh, being here with us, guys. Um, we'll be back again tomorrow, I'm sure. I have got some things to do in the morning, but I don't think that will affect my evening schedule, so we'll pop back in tonight. You know, I just really felt like sharing some random news that I hadn't had a chance to tonight. There's no telling what tomorrow will bring. There's no telling what stories we'll have tomorrow. So uh, uh, cheers to that. And uh, if you are joining us live over at uh, Clout Hub Twitch Rumble, uh, much love and thank you for being there with us. Make sure you follow and subscribe for free. You know, actually, I need to thank real quick. I wanted to acknowledge some of my Twitch. I have some Twitch subscribers that I was not aware of. Nylon Camel subscribed with Prime on Twitch. Thanks for subscribing, Nylon Camel. And welcome to the Sea Report family. And Deplora Laura. One of our loved ones over there always keeps the light on. Subscribed at a one-month tier one um, over here. 24 days ago. Her subscription's almost up. But I just, I never dip into my uh, Twitch, like, uh, show manager. So I didn't realize that till now. But I want to thank you guys for your support over at Twitch. And then, of course, uh, if you're over there, at, I mean, you can follow for free on Twitch. But if you subscribe, you support the show. And uh, I, we definitely ap appreciate that. If you're over at Rumble, follow the show, tweet the show, uh, spread the show around. And then, of course, always and forever, ladies and gentlemen, uh, over at uh, Pilled dot net and foxhole dot app thank you so much for being here tonight thank you for your support and your love uh thank you for the gold pill donations it's been real it's been fun and uh we will be we will be back again ladies and gentlemen that is for sure so uh, with that said guys i will bid you all adieu for the night and uh, we'll be back again manana with more news, views, commentary, and infotainment here at the Sea Report. Um, till then, guys, as always, be safe, be blessed, and God bless America. We'll see you tomorrow. Have a great night, y'all. Thank you.